Welcome into episode 20 of Fatal to Prejudice. Got uh, Patrick back today. Um, but first off, please like, share, subscribe, rate it, review it, send it off to friends, all that stuff. Get the word out. Subscribe to the Patreon if you want to. Uh, every little bit helps. So, yeah. Patrick's here today. Thanks for coming back. You're welcome. Sharing is caring, everybody. Hit that. <laughs> smash that like button. Smash, smash that like download button. button. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me back, man. We talked about uh, we talked about part two, and here it is. Usually you uh, fall through on your promises, so uh, you know I'm I'm pleasantly surprised to be asked <laughs> back into the studio. Um, this, is, this is your one chance, though. My one chance. Yeah, one chance. <laughs> yeah. If I was smoother, I would recite some Eminem lyrics right there, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> one smoother. shot, one opportunity. Yeah. Mom's spaghetti. Mom's spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, man. Hey, Anyways. thanks for having me back. Yeah, um, thanks for coming back. Where did we leave off last time? So last time, a little recap, we talked about, you know, kind of growing up in California and we took the route of like the all the crazy jobs that you had, the oh, whole like right. career. Yeah, yeah. So then you left off at moving to Ohio and becoming a tech consultant uh specializing in pharma industry yep making it better not worse <laughs> <laughs> trying to right so yeah we're talking about trying to do like a parallel episode where you would talk about like your um i guess your normal life non-business life oh so you want to know you want to know the personal things the uh, yeah the 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 interweaving if you will of all the things that were happening when i wasn't uh going to work yeah all right yeah we can uh yeah let's let's dig in uh so you were born at like the heinz factory out in california (laughs) yeah i'm actually a tomato which is perfect because i have red hair so yeah uh, awesome yeah um (laughs) no i was born in the central valley um a little place called merced which merced uh, merced california c-e-d not m-u-r whatever you were gonna say no i i I know you've told me the name before but i just don't remember that name it's like you know if you don't live in california you've never been there it's like true la santa cruz san francisco the bay area like that's all you know yeah tourist yeah um yeah so born in merced real rural farming community um, not much different than central Ohio in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot drier. They grow a lot of grapes, but like table grapes or grapes for two buck chuck. Um, and yeah, so Valley Baby. My parents grew up in a little town called Fresno, which is just south of there, which is where the, the bulk of my family is actually from. My grandparents uh, raised most of their kids there. Um, and up until recently, I still had family there and I still have family there. They just put their time between Fresno and Michigan. So, okay. Either way, both places suck. Um, (laughs) but that's the obligatory, like Ohioan in me now that I have to like plug that, uh, the, the, the team up North sucks, you know, the state up North. Absolutely. The whole damn state of Michigan, whatever. If Gary was here, he could, he could sing it for (laughs) me. Um, but yeah, so, you know, born cool. Um, lived in a little town called Atwater, which had an Air Force base, and now it's home to Castle Air Force Museum, which is actually kind of cool. It pales in comparison to what's in Dayton, but for the middle of nowhere, California, it's, you know, it's got its attractions. Okay. 
Uh, mom worked for a cable company, and dad did, I don't want to say odd jobs, but dad worked for, um, I don't know if they're still around, but this little department store, kind of like a Penny's, it was called Gotchalks. Uh, he would do like shipping and receiving. So he'd like bring the merchandise in, ship the merchandise out, you know, that whole sort of thing. So but, like a logistics type of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a fancy way of saying that he opened boxes. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> unsealed boxes. I mean, they, they didn't call it logistics back then. They didn't call it supply chain. They didn't call it, you know, any of that. It was it was shipping and receiving. Um, he was very good at it. You know, he, he made his bones and all that, those sorts of things. So... But uh, we slowly crept north. So Merced is kind of in the middle of the Central Valley, and you gotta you gotta know that the Central Valley stretches from like north of Sacramento all the way down to L.A. So all those other places you mentioned, those are all on the coast and cool places, um, or in the mountains. Central Valley is literally the dish in between all of those things. It's got a long growing season, so it's very agricultural. They will probably tell you that like 90% of the edible food comes from California that feeds the United States. Which I've I, heard that fact. Which I feel like that might be a little California marketing because like I'm not eating California corn in Ohio and we grow a shit ton of corn here. So I don't know how they feed, you know, 350 million people uh, out of this one little place for fruits and vegetables. So um, once again, it's probably marketing. But yeah, I mean, listen... Everybody farms there for the most part. Everybody did farm. There used to be family farms, and now there are corporate farms. And that's a whole different podcast about you know the <laughs> the socioeconomic downfall of of small business and farming for uh, for uh, corporate greed. Um, and now the eighth largest economy in the world is California. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> oh, we slipped a little bit. We used to be the sixth largest. So. Uh, oh, I may have been wrong. Yeah, I thought it was the eighth. Could be the sixth. It was the sixth. Like. 10 or 15 years ago when I, I remember hearing that stat. But, yeah, we uh, – uh, California's GDP is bigger than uh, most countries. 250-some <laughs> yeah. or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, tech definitely helps. But, you know, right. you the movie industry, you've got oil and natural resources. Um, lumber was a big thing way back in the day. But, yeah, a- anyway, so my family slowly moved north from – merced and atwater uh up to manteca which in spanish that means lard which is always a fun little fact i lived in manteca for a little bit don't really remember a lot you know i definitely how old were you uh probably like two three like okay probably some of my first memories were formed there i remember running around like a little kid in a diaper um as does everyone playing with the neighborhood kids you know we lived in an apartment complex i had like a central courtyard which as an adult and getting my own you know apartments i was like oh man i grew up in a place like this right so it's kind of you know full circle Mm -hmm. um you know remember just being a kid playing with the neighborhood kids a couple of distinct memories i remember being young enough but old enough that my grandmother sent me in her car which was some big boat of something I was maroon. I don't know what it was. Think like, think like this was, this would have been like 1984, 1985. Um, some big boat of a Cadillac or Lincoln or whatever. Uh, and I got put in the driver's seat and back before safety things, like you could just pull the, the stick shift. And somehow I put the car in neutral and it started rolling downhill. And my, my Nana, my grandmother was like, 
chasing after the car trying to catch up because she was doing something in the trunk like classic like 80s bloopers you know <laughs> like oh this doesn't end well right like baby driving a car but like i wasn't driving and i was just like oh i'm gonna pull on this thing and Ooh, uh, shiny yeah exactly <laughs> um so not much has changed today right i'm still distracted <laughs> right. by shiny things um which obviously that ended well because I'm here and, you know, Nana didn't go to jail for child endangerment. But it was the 80s too. Like, you know, she probably had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth and, you know, whatever. So, um, other distinct memory, uh, that song uh, uh, by Dire Straits about, um, oh, how does it go? Something around, uh, we built the city on rock and roll, which is not yeah. Dire Straits. Is I think it's uh, I think it's Jefferson or Starship or one of those. But, uh yeah, man, like those are those are you know it was the eighties. It was um, fun times, you know. As a as a new dad now, I look back and I'm like, I don't know how my parents did that at like twenty five, you know, at twenty five, which we'll get there. I don't want to fast forward, you know, foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, you know, at twenty five, I was definitely not ready to have a kid, let alone two kids. I was around that time my sister came along. There was about three and a half, four years between us. I think it's like three years, ten months. Um, and I got to be a baby or a, a, a big brother to my baby sister, uh, baby sister who looked nothing like me. Um, you know, I'm brown eyes and red hair and she was blue eyes and blonde hair. So I look like my dad and she like, she looked like my mom. But, um, I would say that after Manteca, we, we moved to this little town called Modesto, which is next to Stockton, which if you Google like worst places to live in the world or the U.S., like Stockton is definitely in the top 10. Um, there's several places in California that are actually really crappy to live. I was going to say, is, uh, is Stockton in Humboldt County? Stockton is not in Humboldt County. Stockton is in uh, San Joaquin County, which um, is still the Central Valley. But okay. uh, yeah, moved to Modesto. Um moderately large town at the time it was you know county seat for stanislaus county i think or something like that i don't know i i mean i only lived there through i say fourth grade but i was in this gifted and talented education program called gate where like you were in third grade but you were doing fourth grade work so i didn't really have a third grade because i went from kindergarten first second into third but third was really fourth so it's like i skipped a year in the middle you were too smart, but didn't want to push yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I wouldn't say that. I would say that that uh, I ended up not continuing on with the GATE program after that, so I had to, like, repeat fourth grade because when we moved school districts, they had GATE. I just I didn't want to do it. My mom didn't think it was worth it just because it was a different um, – I don't know. I don't remember why. I mean, I was, you know, it was elementary school, but um, right. we'll we'll get to that. So, you know, I remember, you know, the my I have a couple fond memories from elementary school, and they're gonna sound super dumb, but we had this like this like drainage ditch, which I would call a canal, but it's not a canal. It's literally just a piece of concrete where like rain runoff would run through, but it separated the school from like the big giant field that we had because you know this was back when schools actually had land and they weren't like maximizing for classroom space um and all our schools out there are all outside right so it's like class it's it's almost kind of like an outdoor mall or like an outdoor hotel right like 
we didn't have inside hallways. The hallways were like outside under coverings, and so you would walk around these, um, walk around from building to building. Oh, so like you're like in schools that you're seeing in movies from like the '90s or whatever. Yeah, based okay. in California, they were out, not like Midwestern schools where they're all inside. Yeah, everything's inside everything's over inside. here. Which I was always jealous. I was like, oh man, I really wish I had like a hallway with a locker. And we did have those. They were just covered, but they weren't like inside a building. Yeah. We wish you had air conditioning walking to class. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a whole different story. But um, <laughs> uh, I remember I, I remember about Muncie Elementary, and I feel like I'm giving everyone all the details on how to figure out like what my passwords are on the internet. Like, where, what town were you born in, and what was the name of your first elementary school? Here, here's a tip. Don't use any of that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so this drainage ditch, it would, like, fill up with water to the brim. I'm talking, like, to me, as a kindergartner or uh, first grader, it was huge, right? Because, you know, everything's huge when you're when you're six years old. But, man, we used to, like, run and jump across this stuff, uh, across this, like, six-foot-wide chasm of water. We'd be soaked. We had these, like... Um, the metal geometric like domes you could climb climb on there was like oh, yeah. galvanized metal with metal slivers it was amazing amazing time to be alive in the 80s right like nothing was safe i mean i'm sure it was safe for the time <laughs> but like not now where everything's like watered down and you know sanded smooth and injection molded plastic can't can't play on that you'll you'll fall th- two or three feet and break your ankle yeah definitely um I definitely remember that, and then I remember, I remember, I had my first kiss in kindergarten. Um, first kiss in kindergarten. First, yeah. Her name was Brittany. Player. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I knew what it was at the time, and I don't know if she knew what it was. I mean, it was like, let's play the movies, right? Like it wasn't like, yeah, romantic or anything. But she was a little neighbor neighbor girl. She lived down the street from us, um, and that was a fun time too. Like I look back, you know, my parents were in their mid twenties you know probably 20 well i was six my mom had me when she was 23 so yeah she was 29 30 you know and they were living their best lives you know um and all the all the neighbors in the in the neighborhood had kids too so you know friday saturday nights where all the parents would get together and drink and let the kids run around like hooligans you know once again you know 80s was a wild time to be alive you know nobody nobody really worried about their kids getting abducted and safety numbers and things like that but right. uh, yeah it was uh it was uh i remember having the biggest crush though on my kindergarten teacher mrs sellers uh, once again another <laughs> what was your <laughs> kindergarten teacher's name right um what was the first car that you bought yeah, what, was, no. what was the mascots of your school listen we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> you're you're moving ahead and you know you're like well, what do you want to talk I just, about i just want your passwords yeah. man what do you want to talk about oh let's just go down the list of security questions for opening up any type of account that seems like a good one um <laughs> but yeah i mean it was it, it was good times and then um mom and dad divorced so when you, you were know, like six seven uh ten ten yeah okay. so i would have been it would have been around that gate time right because that's when we actually moved because mom mom worked in the next town over called tracy and dad was working in modesto so like dad's job was there in town mom's job was in the next town over um and they got you know they got they ended up splitting and 
you know, the whole thing was just, I don't want to say traumatic. Like, I think people that are children of divorce parents, you either grow up to, like, let it define you or you you move past it in spite of it, right? Like you can either choose to like, oh, well, you know, this happened. And I'm not saying that that's negative or positive. I'm just saying everyone's experience is a little bit differently. And while I was definitely sad about the whole thing, I don't know if it really changed my trajectory at that time. I would say that for later on, for who my parents ended up, you know, getting together with, those other people that they brought in had a huge impact to my life. So you know, looking back on it, the divorce as an, as an event didn't shape who I was, you know, they had a fairly amicable divorce, you know, I still saw my dad every other weekend, he paid child support, like, we didn't have to do pickups and drop-offs in random parking lots for neutral ground, like, it wasn't, it wasn't a dirty, nasty divorce or anything like that, it just, just didn't work out, and, you know, in the, in the totality of life, like, that was a blip, and I would, I would say that that would, could have been traumatic but you know I don't I don't see it that way I don't look back on it that way I remember you know I was into He-Man and Spectre Gadget Legos G.I. Joe's you know uh I remember we got this like little brick of what's modeling what I would call modeling clay mm-hmm. and I used to you know I found some like stray wires around the house and I would make it into like this little bomb looking thing that GI Joe would have to come and defuse. And, you know, like I would make up these elaborate stories in our heads. I mean, and once again, we didn't have video games back then. I mean, the neighbors had an Atari, but I mean, it was like Pong and Frogger, which I was, I was fucking amazing at Frogger back in the day, <laughs> which probably I was not amazing. Cause I was like eight. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had to occupy ourselves, you know, and I had a little sister and the the two girls next door were a little bit older uh, and they, they had a son. He was a little bit younger, um, you know, so like I was always kind of in between ages a little bit. Uh, Dennis, that was the that was the boy next door was more Jenny's age. So he's about three years, three years younger. And Leslie and Danelle were probably two or three years older. So I kind of fell in this weird spot. Um, had some other friends locally, you know, as all kids do, you know, I, uh, I never had problems making friends, but as many friends as you make, you typically make, I don't want to say enemies, but you know, you have conflict. Kids are fucking awful. Yeah. You got Um, those kids that you just don't agree with. Yeah. Like bullies and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I was a, you know, pudgy kid with red hair. I mean, it was an easy target, you know, like, oh, look at the weirdo, you know, or whatever. So you know elementary school was fine modesto was fine um i remember i had this friend in school his name steven um with a ph um for those of you keeping track and uh i remember so this was in that gate program and you know third grade you're what seven eight seven eight something somewhere like around there and so we had to do like a science project and the science project is we made a telescope like a like a homemade telescope out of like wood and lenses and it looked nothing like a telescope but it functioned like a telescope and i thought that was really cool that in third and like looking back i'm like yeah i was a nerd like i liked sciencey things i definitely appreciated you know math and science and i like to be challenged and things like art and english bored me i remember in kindergarten finishing something early 
and telling the teacher, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, <laughs> I'm bored. And she's like, if you say that one more time, I'm going to send you to the principal's office. And I think I was like, I'm bored because <laughs> I was that kid, right? And I definitely went to the principal's office and they were like, what's your problem? I was like, uh, I don't know if they asked me what my problem was, but they asked the teacher. And she's like, well, he finished like 40 minutes faster than all the rest of the kids. And he's just not challenged enough. And I think that was the start of the whole like gifted program or whatever was that I just needed more stimulation. I needed more of a challenge in school. Um, and it's, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm bragging, but like school's always been easy for me. I didn't really have to study. Things came to me unless it was like English or like, I got to read this dumb book. Like, why am I, I don't want to read this book. This book isn't interesting to me. Like Tale of Two Cities, couldn't tell you what it was about. I read it, but like, to me, I had to read it to like write a paper about it. Right. Um, what's it? The Great Gatsby read it. But I don't remember what it's about, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So, you know, obviously that's more high school. But, I mean, I, I just remember that elementary school, I was always kind of ahead of the curve. I was always kind of, you know, looking for the next thing or looking for that that challenge. And I, and I definitely got that in gate. But, like, those kids had to study. And I didn't want to study. You know, like, they, they wanted to be book smart. And I was like, I don't want to be book smart. Like, I'm too lazy to be book smart, right? Like... I don't want to read all the books and do all the things like, and now as an adult, you know, I look back on it and I watch, you know, people that went to real college or, you know, they're quoting people or whatever. And I, I'm like, yeah, I probably should have had better habits. You know, like I, I'm not going to say I regret it. Cause obviously I've done, I've done okay for myself. I think I, uh, articulate myself fairly well for, uh, for a Central Valley, you know, kid, you know, not coming from anything. So, yeah, I mean, elementary school is fine. Gate was fine. Um, then we moved. So then we actually moved towns, switched schools. And that's where I'm saying that I repeated fourth grade because you either stayed in the gate program in one district or like you didn't. Like once you were in, you were kind of in, but like in the next district, you had the option of doing it or not. And my mom opted to not have me do it. And, and I couldn't tell you why I didn't really feel any difference to it at all. But then, then everything just became easier. Like fourth grade was fine. Fifth grade was fine. You know, elementary school is elementary school. Um, I don't remember. I remember like, it's funny, like some teachers I remember really, really vividly and some teachers I don't. And it's funny because I know people that are teachers now and they're, you know, adults and they're, they're like, you know, my biggest, I just want to have an impact on kids' lives. And I'm like, well, there's definitely like six teachers in my life that I remember. Um, Mrs. Sellers, uh, Mrs. Fairbairn, my second grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Wellnitz, my fifth grade teacher, and I really misses, I remember Mrs. Wellnitz for a couple different reasons. One, she had red hair like me. So that was like, oh, like authority figure, like also has red <laughs> hair. I'm not the only weirdo in the room anymore. But also she like was the first person to get me interested in like the creative side of things. Like she had these special pens for drawing and she didn't make it so much about creating to create as much as like the geometry and symmetry of things like i remember and it's gonna sound so dumb but like they were art pencils and pens and we would draw butterflies and so it was more about the shapes of things and getting things equal and 
and to me i i looked at it like a problem to solve versus like oh look at the pretty butterfly with the colors you know i was like how can i put down what's in my brain on paper and that really impacted me because i saw the usefulness of being creative and i saw the usefulness of being able to articulate either verbally or orally or not orally but written down right like the written word or being able to draw something to explain yourself and i mean it's probably the first time i vocalized that out loud but like i definitely like that's why she sticks out in my mind because she she taught me that it was more than just math and science you know and it was more than just what i would consider engineering right like how how the world works in physics and things and things like that um so yeah i mean i played an instrument in uh fifth grade played the cello essentially i broke a lot of strings (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I uh, I never really I never really played the cello as much as I you know messed around with it. Yeah. Um, and we were latchkey kids, right? So like we would go to the boys and girls club after we'd ride the bus. So the funny thing is, is our elementary school um, was on the back side of the subdivision that I lived in. So like once again, school was massive. The school was probably like uh, it was huge. Um. especially for like being a kid you know it was probably like three blocks by six blocks like it was just a big plot of land like ohio school for the deaf like it was like that big it was just an elementary school and it butted up to a park so the green space felt a lot bigger but essentially uh it backed up to the houses that we lived in and so i would walk down the street make a left-hand turn and like you're almost like once you pass that house you're like on school property but we were young you know we were my mom was a single mom you know my dad worked in the next or lived and worked in the next town over and so we were too young to go home after school so we would get on the bus ride the bus across town and go to the boys and girls club and so i would have to lug this cello first i'd have to lug it because there was no lockers at elementary school you took your instrument home with you so i'd have to lug it home and then we'd walk to school in the morning, so I have to lug it back to school, lug it on the bus, take it to the Boys and Girls Club, check it in in their, like, you know, safe space locker or whatever they had for things like that. Um, yeah, so that wasn't really practical, and I broke a couple strings that my mom had to pay, and it was a rental, like, all these things. So the cello didn't really work out um, for me, but, like, that was my first foray into, like, trying to create music and i think i like the idea of creating music than i like actually the practicality of it like um but i met mr vaughn so that leads me to another teacher that really had an impact on my life um the elementary music school or music teacher but he was also the middle school band teacher as well so he taught at both schools and i remember mr vaughn um wore Birkenstocks and had a long ponytail and played the saxophone like Kenny G. He played the soprano sax, so the, the real thin one. It sounds and, uh, just like your stereotypical music teacher. Yeah, yeah. You know, glasses, definitely hippie. Like, you know, probably smoked a lot of weed and and his house probably smelled like patchouli. But, like, he, he was an amazing teacher because he taught me not music. And this was, this was, this is not an elementary school because he became my teacher in middle school as well. But throughout, you know, the three or four years that I was with Mr. Vaughn, uh, he kind of just really taught me that, like, how do I say that? He didn't teach me that, like, nobody cares about you, but he pretty much taught me that if you don't care about you, no one's going to care about you. Or, like, 
what the world is is what the world is and it's how it affects you is up to you i remember that there i used to get teased in middle school and i'm jumping ahead here a little bit but i used to get teased in middle school just like elementary school you know kids are shit but uh used to get teased but man there was this one kid that would just great on me his name was nathan pepper um which to this day we are still great friends right like he lives in la like does salesforce stuff i do tech stuff like you know very similar paths but like in middle school we hated each other um because <laughs> he was annoying and like super creative but also adhd a hundred percent like he plays like 17 different instruments and like it's looking back it's like oh you just can't make up your mind right which is not me i'm like methodical i'm logical i'm rational like might border on ocd right where he's just like bouncing like you can't have a conversation with him without having seven tangents and you're like all i did was ask you if you wanted to go to olive garden i don't need a diatribe (laughs) about you know the the whatever the the tribe in borneo that won't let anybody on their island like that's not what i asked you um (laughs) but um he used to just like get on my nerves and he and he and i would go at it and mr vaughn and you know we're seven seventh graders so i don't know how old we are at this point 12 and mr vaughn goes patrick either hit him and i'll send you to the principal's office or shut up and sit back back down and i was like that's actually pretty rad like you know thinking back on it now like that's what i mean like he's like only you can control how you feel about a situation so like yeah it may not be fair and you may not like it and whatever but like those are your feelings to own and the world doesn't really care so like i thought he was a really pragmatic teacher um i still can't read music to this day um the whole reason i got into band which i didn't play cello at that point um in sixth grade i learned that the uh band the band as a whole got to go to the water slides i was like fuck yeah i want to do that i want to go to school i I don't want to go to school and then like looking back i'm like yeah i go to the water slides once (laughs) one day out of the year uh but i'm gonna play an instrument but uh i remember going to him and saying like hey i want to join the band he's like cool what do you want to play i was like i don't know he's like well i have an extra trombone laying around you want to play that i was like sure so he put me in a practice room for a month and like gave me a basics book but like didn't really inst- i mean he, i guess he kind of taught me because i figured out how to play it um but like i never i never like studied it right i like did just enough to play and like that's it um did just enough to get by to go to that yeah. water park yeah <laughs> But then I did that seventh and eighth grade because it just made sense. And like I had friends in the band and okay. and whatever. So like it made sense for me to continue to do that. Um, and I mean, to some extent, I liked it because it was easy. And I, you know, once again, I'm lazy, right? So like, hey, I'm going to school, but it doesn't feel like I'm learning anything or I'm going to school. Now, in retrospect, I was learning things. I, It just didn't feel like it at the time. You know, that whole saying of, find something you love to do and you'll never work a light, you know, a day in your life. Um, not that I loved music to that extent, but I liked the challenge of music. I liked the puzzle aspect of it, you know, putting things together. I really learned that I like playing or being part of a group that's all reading off the same piece of paper. Right. So like the band isn't just one piece of it. It's, you know, 35 people or whatever, all going in the same direction for a common goal. Um, which 
in group projects throughout my life in school i was always kind of the person that would pick up other work for other people but in band you couldn't do that right like i had my part to play and i couldn't stop playing my trombone to help them play their trumpet or their tuba right like so i really kind of enjoyed that aspect of things like either everybody pulled their weight and the band sounded good or one person didn't and this band sounded bad you know so like that's you know some life lessons out there for for those that are musically inclined or want to talk about teamwork or group work so yeah i mean i did i did the band stuff i remember you know a couple memories from from middle school uh oj happened around this time so oh yeah you were in california yeah but i mean he was in southern california i was in northern right, california right. so like you know it was there but it was like a million miles away but i remember like being in middle school in band class we were all just watching the tv like we weren't playing our instruments we were watching for the verdict when it came through you know so that was you know a memory middle school band what about know. what about the car chase do you remember where you were yeah i was at my dad's house in san francisco i remember watching the car chase for hours or whatever like I think it was on like a Sunday because it, like the, I remember being at my dad's house playing a computer game, probably playing Sim City or Sim Tower, and like it was on the TV. And at the time, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is running." You know, like I don't know, I was. There I, goes the juice. Yeah, <laughs> but like I was never a sports guy, so like I didn't right. know who OJ Simpson was. I just knew that he was wanted by the police or whatever. Um, like I don't think I really comprehended it at that point. But like once the trial came on and like you know you start hearing about it and you hear adults talk about it in in more finite terms and more you know authoritarian type of settings you know it starts to hit home but yeah i mean that was a uh that's a memory that i have from middle school band um and nathan and and really like nathan and meeting nathan's dad so like nathan's dad was a radiologist um he passed away a couple couple years ago but Nathan, uh, his dad's name was Dr. Pepper and he was a radiologist <laughs> and they had this big house and like, you know, fancy, fancy cars. And, um, his dad had DSL and this is like 95, right? So this is like, Whoa. this is like way, like it was 768 DSL. So you could download a song from Napster in like five minutes where the dial up in my house, it would take like five hours and you shared the line with the house phone and all those sorts of things so I, w I was gonna say we might have to explain what dsl is because yeah, you know, yeah. it's Digi so obsolete digital subscriber line not that stuff you guys search for on the internet um <laughs> yeah no it was dedicated internet like at the time it was dial up or dsl um i don't even think cable was around yet but you could get dsl in several flavors and it was it was like 368 or 768 or three th whatever it was like ha it was like three and seven and seven was faster obviously but now we measure bandwidth in in gigabits per minute or megabits per minute yeah and back then it was like kilobytes per second and it was really really slow but that was cool because we could download music and like this is napster this is like pre limewire so like we didn't have the fear of viruses and bs because it was so it was so new it wasn't something that we had to really worry about we burned so many cds for those listening cds are these old things that would go into a player and you could only put this is before rewritable cds too so like yeah. what you 
once you put it on a disc, that was it. So that was your mix. Um, you had a Walkman to put yeah. your CD in. I had a Discman. Yeah, definitely had a couple Discmans growing up. I had up. the Discman. Yeah. Well, you don't put a you don't put a CD in a Walkman. A Walkman is cassette. That's even uh, older. Okay. Yeah, your age is showing, young youngster. Yeah. Um, I thought the Walkman was the like the first CD player, uh, portable CD player that Sony invented, but. No, I guess no. it was the cassette player. No, it's uh, the Discman was their version of that for um, uh, for cassettes. So the Walkman was cassettes and AM FM radio. The Discman was just a CD player that you could strap to your hip. Yeah, and okay. uh, and whatnot. So, yeah, I definitely had those. Um, had a couple of them, but I also um, had a couple. Thank you. Oh, oh. <laughs> Look I just the, called it the portable CD player, though. Even though that's a word man. vomit. Well, we ha- I had a Sony disc, like I had the name brand Sony Discman, yeah, like, and Sony Walkman. So that's those were, like equivalent uh, today is like owning the uh, the brand new iPhone when it comes out. Yeah, <laughs> like you're that cool. I don't know if I was that cool. Um, definitely never that cool for you. No, no, definitely never that cool. But you know. Dr. Pepper was an amazing guy. And he, so I got hooked up with Dr. Pepper because in middle school we would do these things called Valentunes. So Valentunes was a fundraiser that we would have to raise money to go to Disneyland for like, or like playing the Rose Parade or like things like that, right? Um, cause you could do those things, but like the bands paid their way to get there. It's not like those people are paying you money to go there. So, Valentunes was a way to raise money where parents um, and band boosters and just people and you'd have to sell instead of magazine subscriptions or chocolate, we would sell a Valentune. And a Valentune was a quartet of little band people would come to your house and like play a little song for you from your Valentine, right? And we did it on Valentine's Day. Um, So I got paired up with Nathan Pepper. Part of me thinks... That Mr. Vaughn put me in that car just to fuck with me, right? Because just, just like he knew we didn't get along, so he's like, you know what? I'm gonna sit back and eat my popcorn and watch this play out. But Nathan's dad had volunteered to drive us around, and Nathan's dad had a giant suburban, and like it was super cool. And I remember Nathan's dad also being annoyed with Nathan to the extent that I was annoyed with Nathan. <laughs> like I remember, I, I don't remember what happened, but somehow Nathan locked the keys in the car, and like. Dr. Pepper had a little hide key in his hitch. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. He was like, growing up with this kid, you have to have a hide key because he's always going to lock the keys in the car. And so I was like, Nathan was just a little shit. <laughs> he wasn't a little, you know, with proper diagnosis, he just, he needed Adderall at a young age. And right. Like, I love the guy. Like, I, I love the guy. He, he, you know, we, we made up in high school. So some, we went from hating each other in middle school and then you switched to high school and suddenly you're best friends. Um, so, yeah, but like Dr. Pepper had a, you know, an impact on my life. Just, I don't want to say a father figure, that's not the right word, but just like he was an interesting, different person I would never meet. You know, born and raised, I want to say in New York, comes from a, you know, deep Jewish background, went to Hofstra for medical school, was in Vietnam as a, as a surgeon, like, just like, like you want to talk about like the most interesting people in the world. Like he had that kind of story, like, and he had a story for every story that you had, um, you know, and definitely, you know, lived the finer things in life, had a ton of wine. Um, 
wasn't a boozer, just liked to collect wine like we collect bourbon, right? I remember, I think I was like 20 or 22, 23, and he was like, Patrick, I have more. He's like, I could drink a bottle a day for the rest of my life, and I would never run out of wine. He's like, that's how much wine I have. Now, he was also known for being a little braggadocious, too, so who knows if that's actually true. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, like, that was, a, that was you know, forming years of my life. Um, and then we, then we get into high school. Oh, and then, like, eighth grade. So, like, so eighth grade kind of came and went. But the biggest thing for eighth grade is in the mornings, I went to the high school for math. So I did high school math. So it's kind of like back into that gate thing again because um, I was always good at math. Um, always interested in sciences, always interested in those types of things. So I would go to the high school in the morning um, for math. And it, it was around this time, too, that my mom met my stepdad. So remember back that, like, the divorce wasn't an event for me in so much as, like, the thing was bad. It's just mom and dad aren't together. And I would say that my mom met my stepdad when I was 12. I was in middle school. So they meet. They've been together, like, 20-something years no longer than that like 30 years long time anyways so lloyd my stepdad completely different than tom my biological father couldn't be more different lloyd uh good old boy farmed hunted fished was a mechanic at the heinz plant like welder kind of a jack of all trades could pretty much do everything and not that my dad couldn't but like my dad just didn't have that up you know my dad lived a different life uh, had a different upbringing and just didn't i'm not going to say he didn't possess those skills but was never given that opportunity from his father to teach him those skills and so you know but lloyd was just polar opposite i still remember too like and this is how this is this is this is my upbringing i remember we're driving around in his in his little ford ranger and we're checking the irrigation at his brother's orchard and so in california you have these canals with levees and you can drive on top of the levees and the easiest way to get from orchard to orchard especially when checking irrigation is to drive on the levee so we stop and we get a soda whatever and you know windows are down and you know it's like a jason aldean song you know just you know <laughs> having a good old time driving on the levee and um he finished his soda and threw the empty bottle out the window into the into the canal and i was like well that's sketch and so i don't say anything or whatever because i'm a kid but i get home and i was like mom you can't be with lloyd and she goes why i was like he litters (laughs) and you know but like you know as kids you're taught you don't litter you don't do this you don't do that so like to me i was like oh mortal sin cut it off deal breaker red flag right and it's like that was just the the and not that like lloyd litters like he's not a bad person like it was just it was the 90s it was different it was a plastic bottle it floated you know it's fine it's california it's it's sitting in the ocean somewhere it's fine yeah um it's not fine um but it's fine so all sarcasm yeah so you know so lloyd came into our lives and like no longer did we go to the Boys and Girls Club because Lloyd worked shift work. So he was home by 2.30, 3 o'clock. So we would go home. We would walk home. And that was a game changer because, like, no longer were we latchkey kids and we got to do whatever we wanted for the three or four hours between, you know, getting home from school and mom getting off work. He taught us how to cook. He made us do chores, which that kind of sucked. But uh, he really showed us, and not that mom didn't, right? Like mom was a disciplinarian, you know, 
we always felt loved. It was never like we were beaten or anything like that. I mean, I would say now as a parent and like just watching other parents and listen, I'm never going to critique someone else's parenting style, but like people are like, I would never hit my kids. It's like, well, yeah, I would never hit my kids either, but I would spank them. And there's a difference. And if you don't know that difference, then like, I don't know how to help you. Right. Cause there's a, there's a definite difference between abuse and discipline. Um, and Lloyd was, Lloyd was a disciplinarian too. And so mom and Lloyd got along with that. But I was always a big kid, so, like, eventually I outgrew whatever physical punishment my mom could dish out. Like, I definitely remember, like, my mom, like, spanked me once with a wooden spoon, and I kind of laughed at her. And my stepdad then came in, and he spanked me, and I didn't laugh when he did. And he's like, man, don't don't laugh at your mom, because then I got to come in here and do this, and, like, I don't want to do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a house full of love, like... You know, and I felt love for my dad too. You know, we we would still go every other weekend. He was living in San Francisco, you know, and we would hang out with with his partner. And you know, Frank brought a lot of things to the table, and and that was a different life. Like Frank lived his life like like Dr. Pepper did. He liked the finer things in life. Um, you know, we went to England. We ate fancy dinners you know, art was on the walls, you know, we ate off of different china and plates, it was crazy, like, you know, Frank just had a different perspective on life, and so, and that was the early 90s too, so, you know, this is all kind of blurring together in one melting pot of childhood memories, but, like, I always like to say that, you know, Lloyd taught me how to hunt and fish, and my dad taught me how to cook it two ways, right, that, like, I got the best of, uh, of, of both up right of living in a rural place you know friday night lights and football but then every other weekend we got to run off to san francisco and live in the big city and see how i don't say urban that's not the right word but like see what it's like to have access to fancy dinner and food and and it wasn't like that every weekend right like if you live in san francisco listen you know you can always do the touristy things but like it's not like living in san francisco is being on fisherman's wharf every day like that's not that's not real life but we got to see things that normal people didn't not normal people but like only things if you live there like would you see those things and that really served me well moving into my like teens and and 20s because i still lived in the area so like i used that local knowledge of san francisco to you know enrich my social life if you will um but you know lloyd lloyd coming into my life frank coming into my life and those you know pre-high school days early high school days that was um that was really really good for me you know I don't want to say that I was headed off of a off a weird path or like I don't think that there was anything wrong with me but I definitely wouldn't be the person that I am today you know I wouldn't have a truck hatchet and I wouldn't be prepared for those sorts of things and and I probably wouldn't collect the wine that I collect now had those things not happened um and so I really thank both of my parents you know, for having the strength to split and not stay together for the kids because they were, they were unhappy together and they found people that made them happy. And so being able to see what a healthy relationship looks like and a different relationship, right? Like, you know, my dad being gay and having a a partner that he lived with and loved and respected, it's not what you would 
don't know, at least in the 90s, it wasn't the propaganda that you would hear, especially coming from a small town or from church or from whatever. You know, it was, you know, the messaging was all different. And, I mean, I remember seeing my first gay wedding in 1994, 1993 in their backyard. And, you know, being a part, I don't want to say being a part of the movement, but being a part of that community and actually meeting real people at a young age, um, you know, I, I think was really transformative for me in the way that I look at life today. And, and all the things that people are still fighting for today, you know, my dad and, and you know, his community 25 years ago in San Francisco of all places, like you would think now, like, oh, you don't have to fight for that. Like they're standing on the soldiers of the guys and, and gals that came before them, you know, to fight for those equal rights and things like that. So like, you know, while I say that, you know, Lloyd had a, a impact on my life today and who I am, I would also say that my dad had an equal impact in compassion, equality, just the way that I think about things. It was actually one of the things that I feared about moving to the Midwest the most coming from San Francisco, very diverse, very eclectic, very inclusive for the most part. I mean, it's still America and it's still what it is, but you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to move to Columbus, Ohio. Like that's corn country, like Appalachia, like, you know, hopefully they have teeth and they don't say the N word or the F word, you know, every other word. And then they get to here and I'm like, okay, I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not in West Jeff or Zanesville. Like, you know, I'm not in, I'm not in Lima or Mansfield or, or, uh, Chillicothe, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in the big city. Yeah. The banjos aren't out here. Right. Yeah. At least not in public. But yeah. So, I mean, you know, I grew up, I really grew up hunting, fishing, playing football, travel. We went to Hawaii. You know, my dad took us to Hawaii. He took us to England. You know, I saw Stonehenge. Uh, we saw a lot of plays um you know the arts and things like that and you know we would we would dress up in like tuxedos and my sister would dress in this little laura ashley dress like so we went to um in england we went to the dorchester and i had i had beef wellington in england at this fancy like hotel restaurant in a tuxedo it's completely ridiculous it sounds amazing though like that's the whole yeah immersive experience I, i mean and that's the thing right like we didn't dress in tuxedos because we had to, but that was part of the experience. And so I learned about what, you know, life is what you make of it, right? Like you want to show up in holy jeans and sneakers, like, sure, no one's going to like tell you you can't come in, but like the theater meant something, you know, the arts meant something. And like, it's your way of showing appreciation for the artists on stage or whatever. So like, I don't want to, I mean, that's a whole separate podcast we could probably talk about, but like that, that was my experience at a young age. And, you know, 12 13 definitely before high school so yeah so you know that was middle school then we had high school everybody changes in high school luckily though for all the teasing that i got in middle school i somewhere had a growth spurt in middle school to where i hit 510 and like 180 pounds so i was a big kid nobody really messed with me in high school um mostly because i was bigger than most of the freshmen and probably the same size as some of the seniors so I didn't really get picked on or teased anymore. It was, it was, it actually changed. Like people just ignored you, right? Like I think there was a maturity aspect to that. And while I was never ignored, like, you know, I lost some friends cause they went to the high school across town or I gained some friends because you know, that's what you do. So, you know, I never really belonged to any one group, but I had friends in every single group. So I still played the trombone. So I was in band. 
Uh, sophomore year, I played football. I was starting nose guard, so I had friends that were jocks. I was in IB, which is a version of AP, so I had friends that were like super smart. Once again, because they were smart and they would study, and I was like, cool, this looks good on a college transcript. I'm going to do the, not the bare, I mean, listen, I had I had over 4.0, like I, you know, I ranked in the class and all those sorts of things, but like, I didn't have to study. Um where some of those kids had to study a lot. I remember freshman year, my my gross GPA was 4.17, which the max you could get was a 4.33 or whatever it was. So I was like, yeah, I'm I'm doing okay academically. Then sophomore year, still carried that same GPA and then mixed in band and football. And then I tried wrestling. So like wrestling came at the conclusion of football season and I did one wrestling practice. I was like, no, no this I want to vomit. This is re- nobody <laughs> should have worked this hard. This is stupid. Um, but you know, I had a good time playing football. You know, it was a diverse crowd. I didn't fit in specifically with the jocks. I I don't want to say that they didn't like me, but they didn't like me either. Um, probably the one time I only really got bullied or like teased in high school was there was this kid. He was a third string wide receiver. Like, never played or, like, would play every once in a while. But, like, I don't know. He he did something on a play and hit me or – I don't even know what he did. But, like, I did something to where I came – like, he pissed me off enough that I came up behind him and I grabbed his ankles and I just pulled. So he, like, fell on his face. So – and, I mean, this kid was a wide receiver and I'm the starting nose guard, right? So, like, he's sticks. Like, he's, like, skin and bones. And he, like, comes up on me in the locker room like he's going to start some shit. And I'm like, I mean, we could fight right now, but, like, I'm starting and you're riding the bench. Like, I'm not trying to get in a fight and, like, not play, right? Like, I wanted to play. And uh, it wasn't until later that I realized, like, so the Central Valley had, well, I mean, it's probably way worse now than it was. But, like, there was gangs. Like, it was a thing. But, like, back then it was, like, gangs, they would just beat you up like nobody brought knives and guns like it wasn't that you know it wasn't wasn't like it is today or like what my perception of today is right there wasn't like all the school shootings and stuff right like i mean columbine was 98 so this was like 97 so this was before even columbine which i'm sure there's other other instances of school shootings and things like that but like that's the one that lives freshly in everybody's mind so you know i wasn't scared of dying but uh definitely he brought his friends after the football game they were waiting for me outside of the uh of the locker room and somehow i snuck by them and they didn't see me but they were waiting for me which i had so backing up a little bit when my mom and stepdad finally got married it means i got two stepsisters and a stepbrother so we went from just me and my sister my baby sister uh and me being the oldest to me being the middle child so I have an older brother. So he's 43, 42. So he's like two years older, two and a half years older than me. Then my stepsister is about a year older than me. Then there's me. And then I have a younger stepsister who's about a year younger than me. And then my baby sister who was almost four years younger. So we basically went like 16, you know, like 17, 16, 15, 14, and 12, right? Like we were all very, very close in age. And, you know, my brother 
we were just cut from the different cloth. You know, he did 4-H and, um, you know, we shared a room and like we were never close, but we, you know, we had to live together and you have to make the best of that situation, right? But I'll never forget this. Like I remember going up to him and he was, he was tall. He's like six foot and, you know, he was a senior or junior. Uh, no, he would have been a senior. And I remember telling him like, hey, this kid and his friends are like looking to beat me up. And, uh, I went and told him and he's like, Hey, so-and-so and so-and-so. Cause they were more popular in the ag crowd, right? They did the 4-H and the, the meat processing and ag and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he grabbed about four or five dudes that were all just like giants, you know, seniors, right? Like, you know, corn Fred. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And, and Jared, Jared, Jared didn't wrestle. Well, he did, he did wrestle for a little bit, but like, he was tall and thin and, and lean, right? But scrappy. Um, I know because we used to fight all the time. Um, <laughs> only person that's ever knocked the wind out of me was was Jared when he's like, hey, hold these pillows and let me roundhouse kick you to the chest. I'm like, <laughs> okay, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> so, uh, yeah. But, like, you know, as much as he and I have our differences, he uh, he had my back that day. And we basically, you know, went looking for those kids. And he was like, listen, your brother wants to fight my brother. Let him fight. But, like, you don't get involved and we won't get involved. And then the kid just dropped it. Like, he was like, yeah, okay, like, I got a gang. I guess this kid's got a gang too. Um, you know, and it was it was like – it was – it was I don't want to say it was different, but, like, it was the first time I ever felt like I belonged to something bigger than myself for just being born. Like everything else I always felt like I worked for, you know what I mean? Like, so, uh, as much as like my brother and I don't get along now, like I will always hold that. And he didn't do anything more than just like get up and, you know, he didn't have to throw a punch or anything like that. he just got three or four other dudes that were equally big and we're like, let's go. And like, you know, everybody backed down because cooler heads prevailed. But, you know, that meant a lot to me because I didn't feel, you know, as a stepbrother, I didn't feel like his actual brother. And there was always tension between my mom um you know us kids like oh you're lisa's kids versus lloyd's kids and you know that sort of thing so you know that was that was ultimately high school um that was probably the biggest uh the biggest moment although at one point some girl was bullying me so for some dumb shit like just talking just being nasty and the thing is i lived in a town where I had cousins that were all about the same age as me. And so there was like six or seven of our family unit in high school at any one time. Like this was the biggest class kind of going through. And I had several girl cousins and I remember telling them about that and they did the same thing. They went up to that girl and like, look, you want your ass beat? Like keep fucking with them or like, just be cool. Like he didn't do anything to you. Like what's your deal? And she's like, well, my cousin was that kid. So she was like trying to, I don't know, like, I wouldn't hit a girl unless she's my sister and they, you know who you are. You deserved it. Um, but you know, ultimately like, you know, you didn't hit women. Like that's not, but like I had plenty of girl cousins that would definitely cut a bitch. They would stand up for yeah. you. Yeah. So like, you know, it just, it, it was a good feeling, especially in town. There was probably like six, seven big families and like 
my the family my mom married into was one of those big families and uh when i want to sound cool i'm like oh me dating so hard like i had so many options but like i mean it's true like there's i have like extended cousins through marriage that like i didn't know about until late later in life or whatever so you know high school ultimately was you know like i said i had friends in every group you know i was part of the not part of but i had friends in the smart group and the jock group and you know I had friends that played magic at lunch you know i played chess at lunch like i was i didn't belong to any one group but i had i could float between them if i wanted to um and then you know band was a big part of that identity so junior senior year kind of flew by um junior year i basically said fuck school and went from being a 4.0 student to i think i got like a 2.6 gpa which you have to try to get a 2.6 when you're and and this is nothing against people that that's their gpa or i'm not trying to be derogatory but like when you're a straight a student and like you suddenly drop to like c's and d's like that's a big red like if my daughter ever does that that's a big red flag to me like what's going on because it's not it's not that they don't know it's that they're not applying themselves or they've changed their mind right so I'll never forget this too. My, my stepdad, uh, really got down on me about my grades when that happened. And I just remember being like, my grades are still better than Jared's. And he was like, that's not the point. He's like, I know you're capable of more. He's like, your brother tries as hard as he can. And that's, 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 we're not talking about him. We're talking about you. And this is about you. And I remember junior year, that first semester, at least having that low GPA and just being like, angry at the world about whatever like i'm sure i was mad at my parents i started driving sophomore year but they made me like cart my sister around and like you know but i had to buy my gas and you know everyone that's complaining about gas prices then like gas was 99 cents a gallon like but if you don't have a job or like you were a high school student like and you drive a uh i'm not gonna tell you what i drove um <laughs> not gonna go there but it was a v8 like it was a it was a it was a ford v8 so there it was got, no there was no 40 miles a gallon no I it was, was like nine i was getting 10 up like with a tailwind like if i was if <laughs> yeah. i was lucky so you going know. downhill in neutral yeah <laughs> but so, yeah how are you paying for gas if you don't have a job you selling crack no so my first yeah i mean kind of i worked at the butcher <laughs> shop across the street from the high school so okay. my first job was we well we didn't really talk about jobs in high school but my first job was cl- the night cleanup boy at a butcher shop you know you want a humbling experience like clean up meat from a drain like and i'm not talking like a costco butcher shop or like like i'm talking like old school 1940s you know uh think of any mob movie you've seen where they're like racks of beef hanging in coolers like they were full processing of all the ag stuff so they would do beef cow you know beef and pork um you bring your deer to them you could bring goats like whatever right and so that was my first my first real job and i would do that like every night after after school or after they closed you know between six and nine o'clock i would go and i would clean up the butcher shop and do my homework and all that kind of stuff and you know it was kind of cool and like this is an fda inspected plant so like if it's not clean right like they don't open they're not serving food and they're not serving food but you know they're not selling their 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 wares and then my next job after that was i worked at a software store so i actually got to we had this thing called work experience in school i don't know if you guys have that out here but 
basically for fourth, fifth, and sixth periods. So after lunch, you would just leave and you would go to you'd go to a job, and that job would sign off like yes, he was here these amount of hours or whatever, and so that you actually got credit for that. Well, because I had done high school math, and because I did so well in my other courses, um, I basically had enough credits to graduate at the end of my junior year no like middle of my junior year but i still had to like take english and history like there was two like you just you have to take four years of that or whatever so junior year i did band the first semester just for marching band and then i transferred into work experience so basically i i was a ta and i did um pre-calculus and i did history and english or something like that I basically figured out to like for the latter half of the day I got to fuck off and then like I was a TA third period or fourth period so like sometimes I would just leave after third period so like like 10 30 in the morning I I'd, I'd just leave I'd leave because we could leave campus for lunch and all that kind of stuff but I just stopped doing extracurriculars I just said you know I got the software job you know working at a software store which was just a retail store I, I remember I was making 575 an hour and I remember going to the manager and I was like hey you live like 45 minutes away why don't you give me a key and pay me 10 cents an hour more and I'll be your assistant manager he's like done <laughs> and I was like and I'll have the responsibility that if like the alarm goes off or whatever like I'll come down and check it out so you don't have to drive 45 minutes each way to whatever and I man I I I thought I was making all the money in the world. I was like, oh man, I don't need to make any more than five eighty-five an hour. This is amazing. Ten cents more. Yeah, that was an extra fifty cents per shift. Sign me up. Um, life was simpler back then. Yep. You know, when all I had to do was pay for uh, gas and insurance. Um, but yeah, I mean that was uh, that was high school. You know, graduated. I think I ended up graduating like th- with a three point six six or three point eight six. So even that little. And there was a graduating class of like 450. I think I was still ranked in the top 100 like kids in my school. So, you know, the top 25%, which I think the top 10% was all the same people that I was in those gifted programs with or whatever. Um, But one of the things I met, I met Ray uh, in high school. We met in Mr. Miranda's physics class, which was once again another teacher that had a very profound impact on my life. Um, mostly cause Mr. Miranda was like five foot four. That's probably an, uh, uh, an exaggeration. He was a little guy, but like short and stout, kind of like Vic a little bit, but like shorter than Vic. But like, just, I remember he came into the weight room once while we were doing football practice and we were like all in the weight room and dude like benched like four fifty, Like it was no big deal, <laughs> but he wasn't yoked. He was just like a bear. He was like a barrel with arms, right? He's just He's small like little five guy. foot nothing. Yeah. Benching five, 400. Yeah. It was over 400 pounds. Cause it were like, cause he had to ask a kid for weights off of the squat rack to put on the bench rack because <laughs> like, I don't think there was any more than like 250 pounds on any one, you know, one station so Miranda put up a lot of weight but like Miranda also he had this funny way which I'm proud I'm sure probably doesn't fly now right but he had the he had this way of like making up problems about physics to be like <laughs> and like Ray keep me honest here but it was something along the lines of like so you're you're driving down the street in your 1974 Pinto 
that says rolling hard across across the windshield when suddenly a goat steps in front of your car and you hit the goat doing 25 miles an hour how fast is the goat going after 50 feet or something like that right so like he made these insane he made these insane like word problems and he would always reuse like the same like shtick right it'd be like you're walking down the street and you kick a hungarian gnome with your left foot you know like how far does the gnome fly right or like the gnome hits a wall doing this like what's the what's the deceleration over t- whatever right like it was these just crazy word problems um he was probably writing those uh algebra books that i had to <laughs> go through probably. do you have those no those crazy like problems it's like chris <laughs> has 85 watermelons <laughs> and patrick has 14 peaches yeah <laughs> um but that's where I met Ray and like Ray and I kind of bonded because Ray didn't really like to come to class first thing in the morning and it was our first period class so frequently Miranda would have me call and this is before cell phones he would have me call Ray's house and be like Ray get to get to class like come to class um but that was a lot that that class was a lot of fun it was an honors physics class later in college I took physics class that were that were way easier than what I experienced in high school but, you know, he just had a way of making it fun. And, like, Ray and I, we took advantage of it. Like, we were always lab partners, and uh, we had to make these – I don't even know what you would call them, but they were, like, studying, like, kinetic versus potential energy, and it would be a car, like a mousetrap car. So, like, you have to make a car that, like, propels itself a certain distance, and, you know, you're working with that kind of stuff. So Ray and I actually we – did, we did the assignment. We made the car that would, like, propel itself, right? But then we made another car that had the same body, so it looked the same. So Ray's mom worked at Walmart, and so we just went to Walmart, and we got, like, two model cars, like the shells, right? And we took the whole thing apart, and we put them on the chassis that we built. But on the other chassis, we actually cut out the trunk lid to come off to reveal uh, a hobby rocket motor that we strapped (laughs) to this thing. And so we're doing this on the tennis court, right, because the tennis court has, like, fence all the way around it. So... We go out to the tennis court, like, I don't know, 8.30 in the morning. It's cold. I remember I could see my breath. But, like, we snuck this car out there, and then we bring out safety goggles, right? Because we're no idiots, right? We're like, oh, we might blow our fingers off, but we're not losing our eyeballs. And uh, so we're on the other side of the net. And Miranda just had this voice. He would just, like, he would, like, talk with half his mouth closed all the time. So he just, like... His words were very short and clipped, and he would always call people Mr. and Mrs. or Ms., right? So out of nowhere, like, we're on the other side, and we, like, total mythbuster, like, drop the safety goggles, goggles like Bill Nye the Science Guy. And all of a sudden, Miranda goes, Mr. Last name and last name to be admitted for... Uh, for <laughs> Mr. Patrick and Ray. Yeah, yeah Mr. Mr. Patrick, Mr. Ray, why do you have safety goggles? What are you, do not light that. And we're like, we, and like, we, we didn't have fire, right? Cause we were like, oh, we don't want to get in trouble for having like fire, but right. we had an electric igniter and that thankfully, or I don't know, we tested it. It worked. It definitely did not work that day. But Miranda comes over and he's like, this is the coolest, dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm keeping this to put on my shelf. Like he, so he kept it and it, like, you know, whatever. But he was like, I know you guys did two cars, but like, 
he's like secretly like i have to be mad at you but like don't and don't do this <laughs> but that was fucking cool like he was like that was like that was kind of cool that he's like and i'm glad it didn't go off because like then there would have been consequences but um yeah like that was the shit that ray and i did in science class like you know probably you'd get expelled for bringing a bomb to school you know because it's a rocket motor but like i don't know it was only 20 years ago, but it was like different times back then or 25 years ago. It was different times. But I definitely do remember too, Miranda drove like a 1968 Mustang, like kind of restored, but like kind of not restored. And we had, we had what we called senior court, right? Which was the, the center courtyard and so much, and you could park off of senior court. And some of that parking was for students, some of it was for teachers. And if you got there early enough, you could always find a spot in senior court. But like, I always made a habit of rolling through first thing in the morning because if I get a spot in senior court, that means like it was right by my third or fourth period class. I could get out the door quick to go to lunch, whatever. Um, and I remember parking, and it was probably May, like pretty close to graduation. I was working two jobs at this time, I had the software job. And then I was a waiter or a host at, um, or a busboy at like, not a Denny's or a Perkins. It was called Lions. It was a little more upscale, um, but definitely a diner, right? Like, but they would have like prime rib every day. And their prime rib was actually pretty good. Um, you know, that kind of place, you know, so I was making in high school, probably a thousand bucks a month. You know, I was making decent money. We, I wanted to go on this trip to New York for like a senior a senior thing and it was funny because it was the uh work experience teacher like the 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 leader of that who i had to like she was my advisor so like once once a week i'd have to go in from like 6 30 to 7 30 like have that class about my work experience but her and the child development teacher were like besties and they figured out like hey if we get 35 students to pay for a trip to new york we get to go for free as chaperones and so they were like hey do you want to go on this trip and i'm like yeah i was like who else is going like well so-and-so's entire class which was a bunch of females it was like 37 females and i'm like me being a little awkward senior you know redheaded kid that you know senior year was different than the rest of the you know rest of rest of school because i was so isolated because i was leaving every day at like 10 30 in the morning i was leaving a third period um I was like, yeah, I want to go on that. She's like, well, the deadline's tomorrow and the first deposit's due. And I was like, well, how much is the first deposit? And she was like $700 or whatever it was. I think the whole trip was like two grand. And I was like, oh, well, can I just write you a check? And she's like, what? I was like, well, I have my own job. Like, I don't have to ask my parents. I'm 18. Like, can I just, can I just sign for myself? And she's like, well, you still have to have your parents sign for you. Cause the trip was in like April and we graduated in like late May. She goes, but you can give me that check all day long. And I mean, I remember just like whipping out my checkbook for my backpack, like writing a check for $700. And she was like, holy crap. Um, which that trip was fun. Uh, it's not, you know, I, I uh, spoiler alert, I did not get laid on that trip. Like I thought that trip was going to go. Um, it was still fun. Like once again, all the rest of the seniors went to like Disneyland and I went to New York with a smaller subset of, of people. You went, you went to all the way across the country and back and with your virginity still intact. Yeah. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Um, mission accomplished. Somebody's Stay mission. Strong. Yeah. Somebody's mission was accomplished, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. So, you know, 
it was just like that was my work ethic right and i remember pulling up to marinda and he was in his mustang and i had just taken over the payments on a 1998 toyota tacoma and this was like 2000 i had just taken over payments on a 98 tacoma and i mean that was like you know pretty and it was sr5 trd before trd was a thing um vic would be jealous but i took over the payments from my grandfather and those payments were 500 bucks a month which I mean that was a, that's expensive now, let alone you know as a senior in high school. Yeah. And uh, I just remember Miranda saying to me in his little like curt voice, like, "Mr. Patrick, I love it when my students drive nicer vehicles than I do. Uh, must be nice to have parents that are that are well off." And I was like, "I work two jobs for this truck. Like, I pay this payment." And he was like, "Respect." <laughs> and like, but like his his thought was like, "My parents bought it for me, yeah. right?" He just um, said he rode up in a Mustang, though. Like that's a nice car. Yeah, but it was like in the it was in it was a '67 Mustang, not fully restored. Like the paint was not. He you could tell it was a project car that he also yeah. drove. Um, but also, he's rolling up in a '67 Mustang. Like this this man needs to humble himself. Yeah, but like it that wasn't a nice car in 1999. Like that wasn't the thing. Like. You had a couple kids that would have muscle cars and whatever, but they were restored. And this was like, yeah. this had like three different color fenders on it. You know what I mean? Like it was not a nice car. I think he eventually he did restore it a couple years later. And like finally it was all one color and it became a nice car. But like, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I was driving the new car and he was driving the old car because that yeah. pickup truck was only like a year, a year and a half old or something like that. Yeah. I mean. At the end of the day, I still think he's driving a nice car. Yeah. And even though it doesn't look the prettiest, it's still a 67 Mustang that he's driving. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like high school, graduate, you know, had college picked out, was going to go to Fresno State, was going to do industrial design. I was accepted, like put the deposit down for the dorms. And then uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, do you know anyone that wants to move to San Francisco? And I'm like, me right because my dad lived there so every other weekend i would go there so like san francisco was the big city it was 60 miles from where i grew up it was fun it was exciting um mostly it wasn't hot right because the central valley was hot like it would get hot in the summers and like san francisco in the summers like is like 55 and foggy and amazing um so I was like, yeah so i moved to san francisco didn't have a job didn't have anything um this was like june so just graduated um he was a year ahead so he had graduated the year before but his his girlfriend at the time was uh was my class so the three of us were moving to san francisco but she was the pastor's daughter so she was going to get an apartment and we were going to get an apartment and uh our first apartment three dudes 600 square feet 1680 a month we had a twin bed uh, a pair of bunk beds in the bedroom it was ridiculous we had a full-size couch in the living room, big TV, you know, big computer with the giant monitors. You know, this was 2000. Like, we were we were, we were, were living, you know, high on the hog. We didn't have a table. We didn't need a table. Yeah, you were living large. Yeah. So that was, like, my, like, and that's when I started to, like, grow into my own a little bit. I think I finally met, like, I started getting more confident with girls and just, like, being my own person, you know, because high school, middle school, were awkward phases i would still say that probably until i grew facial hair when i was 21 it was still probably an awkward phase 
and then like it probably wasn't until i got lasik when i was 24 that like the the awkwardness i mean it never fully goes away but at least i didn't look awkward at first glance i'd have to open my mouth first before people would really understand <laughs> um but yeah i mean that was that was good times you know working down on the wharf uh listening to a lot of like techno progressive house trance you know edm as the kids call it today but this is before edm was even thought about i mean i mean i was listening to tiesto back then i mean that was 2000 i mean that was that's still the the daft punk era of electronic music yeah i mean i i mean listen it's not it's not edm as we know edm today but it's progressive you know techno is what we called it or house um trance like it was the forerunners to all of those sorts of things um and now edm is kind of just a catch-all for anything that you know any sort of drum and bass right right any you know any kid with a laptop can uh can put together a, a, a bass track and and sync it up with uh you know pop music you know exactly so, but um yeah i mean we were we were having a good time ray uh lived right next door at sf state so i would see ray so it's like i had my friends um i made new friends you know i didn't go to college i you know the plan was move to san francisco and then uh you know go to go to go to college you know transfer my acceptance from uh fresno state into san francisco state which is still part of the same school system but I missed the cutoff for that, so I had to wait a certain amount of time. And then I realized that college was really expensive, and, like, loans weren't something that I really understood at the time. So, like, I just kind of didn't go. I just said, I'm going to work. Like, I'm going to just, I don't know, I'll, I'll figure it out, right? I didn't have a plan, and, like, the plan was to kind of not have a plan. And that was that was only a year. I only lived in San Francisco for a year, and it felt, like, I, re- I remember thinking back, like, that was the longest year of my life in a good way. Like it didn't feel short. It felt like we were doing everything we wanted to do. We were hanging out. Like, I mean, I, I remember we would play Tony Hawk and eat pepperoni and jalapeno pizza on Friday nights. And that was cool. Like that's what we did, you know? Um, or I'd go over to SF state and hang out with Ray and his friends at the dorms. And like, we would just hang around and play video games, play board games, whatever. You know, so I got to experience a little bit of college life, dorm life, without actually having to pay a tuition bill, which I thought was kind of awesome. But then uh, my roommate got hit, well, got engaged to his girlfriend, and then they got pregnant. So they're like, deuces, we got to go. And they moved like four hours north, something crazy. And I had the option to stay in the city, but I got laid off from my job. And I was like, well, this, I don't have anything here for me. Um, I was supposed to live with Ray. I was supposed to, like, he was going to take over uh for matt but uh it just didn't materialize like i it didn't make sense to continue to pay what we were paying we would have been sharing a room like it was it was just you know it wasn't what i wanted and so i ended up going home for two weeks and was like yeah this isn't gonna work um can't i don't want to live with my parents so i ended up moving up to napa and you know we talked about the winery and all those kind of things but like i would say the most pivotal thing about napa was it introduced me to jason and Jason and I have been friends since 2001, so 22, 23 years. He was the best man at my first wedding. He was, even though he didn't have the title, he was pretty much, you know, my my co-best man in my second wedding. 
Um, anything happens to his kids, I get them. Anything happens to my kids, you know, he gets them, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, we've been close and tight because uh, he dated a girl that was best friends with a girl that I was dating. So, like, we didn't even meet each other through school or work or just, like, we met because we both dated people that knew each other from from high school, from school. And so we would do the, the double date thing or whatever. But Jason... Um, nicest guy on the planet, uh, would give you the shirt off of his back and not complain about it. Um, I was in a pretty rough spot with, uh, you know, if you recall back to the Napa story, working in the winery, uh, living with my girlfriend's parents at the time. And about two or three months into that arrangement, you know, my, my girlfriend lived in LA, which was four or five hours away. And so I'm in her room, you know, sleeping in her bed with her things on the walls and all that kind of stuff, working at the winery, doing the thing. And then like, she cheats on me and like, but I didn't have any other, like I couldn't afford to live on my own. Uh, so out of nowhere, Jason's like, Hey man, um, you're a good dude. I know you don't really know me that well, like other than, you know, we would drive down to LA once a month to like go visit our girlfriends together. So we became like, you know, buddies just through that, you know, osmosis of, of driving down. But it's not like we hung out outside of that. It was like, Hey, it's convenient for him to have someone to go down with him. It's convenient for me. So we're driving his car, um, you know, whatever. And he had bought like an Acura RSX type S in 2001. So now they're just like, like whatever, like basic car. But back then that was a big deal. Like the Integra wasn't there anymore. This was a replacement to the Integra. It was a Type S. Like he put, and I mean, I helped him. He put almost forty thousand miles on that car in like eight months. Um, he went through two clutches because he bought a he bought a manual transmission and didn't know how to drive a manual transmission. Oh man! Um, I actually did know how to drive a manual because Lloyd's truck was a manual. So you know, I, I just remember you know those were really good times, but. He uh he was like, Hey man, you're uh uh you're in a really shitty situation. Like you're living you're living in the bedroom where you lost your virginity, like and that girl cheated on you and that's awful. Like you shouldn't live on that. And I was like, Yeah, but I can't afford anything else. And he's like, Well, I'm getting an apartment and I've got another roommate. I was already gonna pay this money anyways. Why don't you move in with us? share the room with me he's like the room's big enough that we can you know have our own beds you know we fit two queen size beds in this room so that's how big it was that's i mean massive. The, there was only 12 inches between the two beds i mean if anyone like hung a leg out like you know we might be spooning but uh but you know it was big enough that you know we could both live there and i was like man i i can't i can't afford that he's like I'll tell you what i will pay your rent for six months you can live with me rent free for six months until you get it all figured out and that was the first time that someone other than Jared standing up for me to those kids, that was the first time somebody did something nice for me because I was a good friend or a loyal friend or I don't even know, like I couldn't even qualify it on why he did it other than once again, Jason is the nicest human being on the face of the planet. And so that was the beginning of like, we lived together for almost seven years. It was the running joke was like, we were going to become common law you know, <laughs> married at the time because <laughs> we just lived together. So, I mean, we would, we lived in Porter street and then we moved to, um, this like gated community thing that like in Glen Cove, which was like fancy Vallejo. 
so we we moved to a place where we could not get Domino's delivered after dark, right? We lived off the street where you gave Domino's your street, and they're like cross street, and you're like magazine. They're like, nope, we don't deliver there after dark. Um, so it was hood, but like we lived up on a hill that overlooked the Maritime University, so like it was okay. It was it was at the bottom of the hill. It was kind of hood. Um, you can still get cheap gas there though. Like I definitely remember the gas was always really cheap. But yeah, so we moved from that apartment, and like he and I would subsist on like like cases of mountain dew and xbox like halo like original xbox like so not only did the guy like pay my rent for six months but i remember christmas came around and anyone that knows me knows that i i'm not a big christmas fan i couldn't tell you why other than like it just wasn't you know it wasn't really for me and he bought me an xbox like he's like this is your christmas present i mean granted it we lived together so it was a house christmas present but like he was like i'm buying you an xbox and who know i don't even remember how much they were at the time but they were a couple hundred bucks i mean they weren't cheap and i remember splinter cell i really wanted to play splinter cell like that was the game that i would that and halo i think we had a couple other games but those are the primary games that we would play so you know just super nice guy you know we moved several different houses i was the best man in his in his wedding um well his first wedding and you know then he got married and i lived with him and his now ex-wife and i was there when their first son was born um like actually in the room well that's not true i was in the room up until like until the cord got wrapped around the neck and then they had to take out for c-section right so like i was there as long as like the nurses were like um miss do you want this guy in here like he doesn't have a bracelet like what's going on and she's like it's fine and i remember like looking at jason i'm like dude they think we're together and she's the surrogate and he's like what i was like think about it i'm not related i'm not married to her like why is this random dude in the room like where's her mom right like that sort of thing um and yeah. so we all start laughing because like, oh my god, it definitely looks like you know you're the you're the dad and he's the dad, and yeah. she's just our surrogate. So a second ago, when you said that you were in the room, I thought you meant like you still lived with them when they brought the baby home and was like helping take care of it, not that you were literally in the hospital room. I was in the br- so I got home, um, I got home from work and it was it was a hot it was August and it was hot. I mean, just so hot. And, like, we had AC in the house, but, like, it didn't work very well. And it had southern-facing windows, so even if you could get it to work, like, nothing was going to change that, uh, change the temperature in that house. And his ex is just sitting there, like, in minimal clothing, just pregnant as could be. And she's breathing. And she had had contractions all day. And I get home, and I'm like uh and jason's sitting there with her helping her through it and whatever breathing and you know being the nicest guy on the face of planet earth and uh i get home i'm like i'm gonna go start cooling off the car because y'all need to go to the hospital and so i drove him to the hospital with the intent of coming home or whatever and then i just kind of didn't leave not because i didn't want to or not because they didn't want me to. it just it didn't feel weird it just felt natural for me to be there um i supported it's funny because he supported her and i supported him so like he could focus on her 
and I would communicate with the family, which drove her mother completely nuts because she's like, why am I not there? And I mean, if you asked her, she would tell you because my mom would tell me I'm doing it wrong or whatever, right? Like, so she's like, I don't want my mom in the room, not because she didn't love her, just because she didn't want the added pressure of like performance anxiety or whatever. So like I supported him supporting her, but like that just cemented, a lifelong friendship you know and it's i mean it was funny and, and in a lot of ways it prepared me for birth with my own child you know 15 years later um because i kind of been through it without all the baggage of actually having a child right <laughs> um but yeah i mean jason and i to this day i mean we've had our we have had our rough points i worked for jason at some point never work for your best friend um it doesn't bode well for your friendship even though you guys are both the coolest chillest dudes on you know planet earth like it will affect so um yeah i can't say enough good things about jason i mean literally like if you met him he you just he's always inviting he's warm he is always um you know he's a little goofy but you know we're all a little goofy in our own way um does not like whiskey um even though I keep trying to get him to drink whiskey drinks and he's like, how about a cider drink? But, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately like he's part of the reason I'm in Ohio. So we'll get to that in a little bit, but you know, that was early twenties. They had their baby. My room was next to, to the baby's room and Chase's room and you know, life was good. And then I realized, I don't know, I was probably 24, 25. And I just realized that like, I'm never going to get my own family because I already have one, right? Like, and I was dating and things and, you know, things were going well, but like, you know, I'd have a relationship and it would do well for, you know, two or three months and it would fizzle out for, for reasons. Um, and I just said, I'm never going to learn to be my own person if I'm living with you guys, because I'm getting a certain need met by having youtube as my constants right and now with the baby and all those sorts of things so i lived with them for about 15 months after chase was born so you know i got to change diapers and babysit and the crying and all that kind of stuff um i mean granted it was kind of nice because i didn't have like i didn't have any obligation to wake up and do things but you know essentially uh i just i just i knew it was time to kind of move on right i knew it was time to branch out and and do something differently so i uh i looked on craigslist and i found a room for rent in someone's house across the bridge in uh in martinez and it was a bunch of young kids and i say young kids i mean they were like fresh out of high school and i was like 24 but like in my they couldn't buy booze and i could right so like in my mind that was a big difference you know there was a different like i had like a real job and you know i was doing the oil changing and that kind of stuff and then you know leading into the rental coordinator stuff so you know that was around that time i remember moving some of my stuff in my work van so that's yeah i was still changing oil at that time but you know i moved in with them and you know things were fine but they were you know living off mommy and daddy subsidies i think one of the guys who was the boyfriend of one of the girls that was actually on the lease there um you know, he had a job, but like, they're all just a bunch of stoners. And, uh, I remember getting pissed. Cause like I would give them money for the power bill and then our power bill got shut. Like our power got shut off. And I'm like, why is our power off? 
And they're like, oh, well, we owe money on it. I was like, how do we owe money on it? I've been giving you like $75 a month for like four months. Where's that money? I'm like, oh, well, we had to buy groceries. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. I give you money for power. I need power. So they're like, well, can like you just pay to get the power back on? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And it was like $300 or 200 It was some ridiculous, like, I didn't have the money, but, like, what was I going to do? Not put the power back on? Like, I needed that. And then, like, promptly, like, 30 days later, I start, like I started looking for a place that night. I was like, fuck this. Like, they were growing weed in the attic. Like, but, like, I don't know. It was fine. Like, at the time, I didn't, like, think anything of it until the power bill got shut off. And I was like, oh, no, this is, this is not okay. The biggest thing that I took away from that house um, is that stoners are the most ingenious people you will ever meet, but also incredibly <laughs> lazy. Like... Like, they will figure out how to grow pot in an addict, but they won't just go and get a job to pay their bills, right? Or, like, figure out a way to be smart about things. So that was one takeaway. And then the other is uh, they had an all-clad pan that I really liked. I was like, I, will, I want all-clad when I grow up, right? Like, I was like, this is this is, this is goals right here. And then I moved to Concord, which is, like, the next town over. Moved in with Christina and Evan. So Evan was, like, a Marine Corps engineer so like he did construction for the marine corps and she was like an elementary school teacher or whatever but like her dad was kind of not wealthy but like had money and like helped her buy the house so like i was renting a room in the house but like that was a super like adult like living situation we were all in our mid-20s you know there was a pool out back you know everyone was real respectful of the kitchen there was never dirty dishes you know no like I think I had a couple parties there, but it was always when Evan and Christina were out of town. Um, you know, overall it was it was good, and like that's actually when it was around that time that uh, that I met my ex-wife. So I kind of moved into this. You know, I feel like with Jason and Aaron, I was like an embryo, and then living with those kids, I started. I was like a toddler, right? Or I was a, I was a baby, and then when I feel like when I got to Christina's house. And renting a, like a room like they had nice furniture they had you know they had a real house and like i had a real furniture to put into it and like it didn't feel like i was living out of you know hand-me-downs or ikea you know mom everyone had the mom bookcase right like i had two mom bookcases and they both fell apart like every time they i moved them but uh that's when i met that's when i met my ex-wife and we met on match um Spoiler alert, I met my second wife, my current wife, my forever love, but my forever love, because that sounds so cheesy, um, on Match.com as well. So, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm 50%, right? I'm, I'm batting 500. <laughs> um, but, you know, we connected, we dated, uh, we moved in together, so it was the first time I lived with, like, a significant other versus, like, a roommate. Um, you know, we adopted dogs together, we bought a house together all the things we were together about six years married for about three of them you know and i saw several career you know progressions through that uh, as did she you know she changed jobs but you know we started living that late 20s life you know we had friends we went out to dinner we traveled we you know we did we did things you know we would go to the city um that's san francisco if you live in the bay area you know so you know life was good life wasn't bad you know we we didn't fight, which looking back on it was probably why the marriage failed. Cause like nobody wanted to ruffle any feathers or like she wanted to fight and I wouldn't. Cause I'm like, 
look, I'm just lucky enough that I found someone gullible enough to marry me. Like, don't fuck this up, Patrick. Like, you know, like she has everything to offer you. Like you don't have anything to offer her. And like, I would say in my self-confidence realm, like I was pretty, I was pretty low. Like I was, you know, I was in a, I don't want to say I settled cause I definitely didn't settle, but I didn't give myself enough, uh, like enough credit if that, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, like it, it, it went the way that it did. That's around the time towards the end of our marriage is when I moved to Ohio, but I moved to Ohio to take a job, um, working for Jason. And so I was still married and we were talking about it. And it's like, she hated her job and she didn't hate her job in San Francisco, but she would ride the train an hour each way. And she hated the commute. She's like, I lose two to three hours of my life every day for this job. And I'm like, well, you know, sorry, I don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like you do, you know, if I did, you could quit or whatever. So the job in Ohio didn't pay. It paid better than the job that I had, um, in California, but it didn't pay that much better. But the idea was, Hey, it's way cheaper. So we bought our house for like two seventy five in 2009 and Jason had just bought a house in Hilliard for like 145 that was bigger and nicer than the one that we had. So I was like, hey, like if we play this right, like we could sell our house, move to Ohio, pay cash for our house in Ohio, and you don't have to work or you could figure it out, right? Like I, I can support us and like pay you back for all the years that you supported me or whatever. So that was the plan, right? Move to Ohio and I either love it and she quits her job and she moves out in a year or I hate it and I move back and, and work for that company in California. Well, eight months in, she's like, yeah, I, I don't want to be married anymore. Like, I don't miss you. You're my best friend, but I don't love you. You're my roommate. Like, all very cla- – and, like, once I started dating again, I would hear other divorcee stories. And it was very, very similar. So, like, I think definitely that, like, people can be compatible, but I don't think that they should be married. And, like, sometimes that gets a little wishy-washy, right, that, like, you mistake – um, chemistry in the beginning for like lifelong connection. Definitely people change over time. So she said some awful things to me, uh, you know, and I was pretty bitter. Um, I didn't want the divorce. You know, I, I was like, let's work on it. She said things like, I'd rather start over. What did she say? It was something along the lines of like, I would rather be alone than try to work things out with you like really just heinous, like, like mind fuck shit. Right. So I packed, like I packed my shit. Like I, it was, I remember it distinctly. It was like six o'clock, six thirty on a Friday. We started to like divide our assets. Like we both had laptops open. Like we were dividing shit and about 45 minutes into that progress. I just shut my laptop. I was like, I'm not doing this. And she goes, what do you mean? I was like, I'm not doing this. Like I asked you to go to counseling. You wouldn't go to counseling. So I'm going to hire a lawyer. You can hire a lawyer. We're going to, we're going to have the lawyers figure this out. I'm like, why should you get everything you wanted to do? And she said, well, it's going to be really expensive for lawyers. I'm like, you couldn't give me two weeks with a, with a couple's counselor. Like I told you that if they said like this marriage is unsavable, then like I'll just split and we'll just, you know, I'll, I'll slink away to Ohio and like all as well as, you know, we'll, my sister's an attorney, your friend's an attorney. We can get this done for like 1200 bucks, you know, on the cheap. So she didn't give me what I wanted. So I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to give you what you want. 
and I was real petty and real upset and real emotional and, you know, cooler heads prevailed. So if you're thinking about getting a divorce or thinking about splitting, like just, it's going to hurt a lot, but find someone that's like clear headed to like walk you through it. Like don't be petty. It ended up costing me a lot of fucking money and heartache and time, um, that I can never get back that, uh, it wasn't worth it. And at the end of the day, it was not worth it. Like someone doesn't want to be with you. Like they get a vote. So don't hold on to something that you can't hold on to. It's like trying to hold on to a live wire and being like, why am I getting electrocuted? Well, Hey, dumbass, like you're being an idiot, you know? So, um, I took seven days to mourn. And what I mean by that, like I was real upset. Didn't leave my bedroom when I got back to Ohio, like did everything I needed to do, right? Like pack the U-Haul, had friends come over. I had a friend drive across the country with me, unpack the U-Haul, you know, put him on a plane and then I just like fucking shut in and cried and just like didn't want to see anyone and then like divorce papers came the next day and I was just like this, this, it's the end of the world and blah 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 and I just kept replaying those words in my mind all the time and something inside of me clicked and I don't I don't know what it was I don't know where I found this or whatever and this is before like it's not like today where everyone's on Instagram all the time like this is 2012 2013 so like I wasn't scrolling through my phone like I was just alone with my thoughts and like cable TV and uh uh I just decided that like if I'm miserable then she wins like and she's right that like I'm not worthy or whatever like whatever the word she said I I just decided that like all right, I'm going to mourn this and then I'm going to be done with it. And then I'm going to like, I'm going to get back out there. I'm going to figure things out. And it was at that moment. Like, I think she told me on August 2nd, she wanted a divorce. And I went on my first date on the 16th. That's including moving back across the country and unpacking and all those sorts of things. And like men and women process things differently. I think men, you know, want a date to forget or whatever. Um, I just wanted the date to feel good about myself. Like literally like have someone tell me I was pretty like for lack of a better, you know, that I was worthy to like undo the damage. And I'll tell you, I got a lot of traction out of telling that story of the divorce. And so, you know, the divorce hit me and I look back, you know, it's going to be, it's going on nine years. Um, you know, it'll be 10 years from the war, you know, it'll be, it'll be nine years this August. But, you know, I look at, at, at her is like a motivating force in my life to do better, to be better. I try harder in my marriage. I always, I always joke with, with my wife that like the second marriage is the best marriage, right? Like I came pre-trained, you know, I, uh, I try, I air grievances. We don't, we don't not talk about anything. There's no secrets. So, you know, I think ultimately, you know, that divorce was something that I think could have been the end of me. And I, when I say the end, I don't mean like death. I just mean like, like a plateau, like you just stop, right? Like you hit that level and you plateau or you or you digress. And I just, I chose, once again, I know it's not easy, um, but I just chose not to let it define me. And I, and in a way it did define me because it made me work harder to become who I am today. So, you know, I ended up being in Columbus, you know, completely isolated from my old life. I remember like I had found out that like, old friends of mine that I introduced her to were still friends with her. And I'm like, how could you be friends with her? Like she did this to me, whatever. Like she went to a bar in her wedding dress, like, you know, happy divorce party. Like, 
like I was some piece of shit that cheated on her or something. Like none of that even like real classy at the end of the day. And I'm like, how can you be friends with her? And they're like, I mean, you don't live here anymore. So like, what else are we going to do? Like, are we going to have a long-term friendship? And I was like, or long distance friendship. And I'm like, no, you're right. Like in that, and like in the end of the day, that made sense. So in the moment it didn't make sense, but I was like, you know, betrayed and all these things. So I had to like, figured out how to make a life here in Columbus where I didn't know anyone other than Jason and his kids, which he was married with kids and now I'm newly single. And that's a very different lifestyle. You know, um, luckily I wasn't living with him any longer. I had my own place, but, uh, I made a go of it. I figured it out. I started dating again. I, I got into CrossFit. So I was CrossFitting. Um, a lot of my friends, you know, dear friends today come from CrossFit. I mean, they were my CrossFit was my bourbon before bourbon was my bourbon, if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> that like it was my social life. It was something to do. It was active when I wasn't doing work. And it turned into it turned into a saving grace, not only physically, but also mentally and for my sanity, because I was able to find a home there. Right. I always called CrossFit my church. Right. I never dated anyone from CrossFit, even though that place was like everyone was dating everybody. Um not that I didn't want to, but like, I was like, man, if this goes south at CrossFit, then I can't come here anymore. And like, that would suck more than like, you know, going on a couple dates with someone or whatever. Right. So like, I just, I just made a conscious choice not to do that. I was social with multiple people across multiple CrossFit gyms. We would do things like kayaking and we rented cabins in Hocking Hills and we did all the things you're supposed to do in your mid twenties, but I was in my mid thirties. So it's funny. Cause I always felt like I was I'll never forget this. I was sitting, um, sitting on a, on a patio at a bar and everyone around me was like 24 to 27. And someone said something, I don't know how it came about, but like, this wasn't a question I asked people, but someone was talking shit and I was like, well, how old do you think I am? And they're like, I don't know, like 27. I was like 34. And I'm like, I'll take that as a compliment. And then I realized it's like, age is just a number like my mental state was like those were the people I was hanging out with and so like I almost kind of got to relive my late 20s again in my early 30s um and it was different because I now had disposable income so things became more accessible and the cost of living was less in Ohio and you know things like that the other the other key thing is I actually stopped living with roommates I got my own apartment which I never lived alone. I lived with my parents and then I had a roommate and then I had another roommate and then I moved in with my wife or ex-wife, you know? And so I had always lived with somebody and I actually got my own apartment. It was Linux flats over there by, you know, uh, uh, OSU and Linux movie theater, the big gaudy blue and yellow and orange buildings. Now I actually moved out right after they painted. So that's how long ago I lived there. But, uh, you know, I had my apartment and I, I furnished it exactly the way I wanted to. I put nice furniture in it. I didn't want, you know, I still had, I didn't, I didn't come from California empty handed, but I pretty much came from California empty handed. I had to completely start over. And, uh, you know, that, that little apartment was great. And then I, and then I got a dog. I, I, uh, adopted a dog and, you know, it's so cliche, but like who rescued who? And at that point in time, like, I had dogs with my ex-wife and she kept both of them. Um, and so I wanted one. I wanted, I'm like, I can, I can keep a dog alive. I kept Quinn and Lola alive. It's fine. So like I had my little life, you know, and everything was going great. Um, and I was doing better and I had several, you know, 
short and long-term relationships during that time and it was fine but uh you know i didn't really find what i was looking for until i met kelsey you know and uh i'll still never remember or i'll still never forget our first date and it basically worked out this way i was i was doing a lot of dating and i was meeting a lot of people on this little app called tinder and match and okcupid like i was i was in all the apps and what's funny is you would see the same people across all the apps so like there's definitely a dating pool and eventually it becomes very stagnant um but uh i matched with kelsey and i remember we were like texting and talking and i was excited but i'm like ah but this i always get this way i always get really excited when i text or talk with someone and i meet them and either they don't like me or i don't like them or there's no chemistry or whatever and so i was like hey i'm going out of town meet me for lunch and she's like cool i'll meet you for lunch she's like where do you want to meet and i'm like noodles and company because i'm like it's halfway between me and her and like i really like noodles and who doesn't like mac and cheese right so i'm like this is great looking back i'm like our first date was at a fast food restaurant so that's you know fast casual sorry sorry noodles and co but uh you know it was only supposed to be 45 minutes i was hung over from the night before because i lived above a bar so like you know my uh my nights were filled with going down hanging out with my friends at the bar because that was like my second living room um you know i met a really met a second family uh at that bar you know still very close with several people that used to work there um luke was the best man at my wedding the official best man at my wedding gave a very nice speech but uh you know ultimately hungover she had just finished a night shift because she's a night shift nurse at the time um we met and 45 minutes turned into an hour and a half and then i was like i have to go i have a meeting that i cannot miss and her mom was in town and whatever and i'll never forget this and i'll tell the story to everybody but she wore this green dress and i remember we're like walking away from her you know we we hugged or whatever and we walked away and i remember turning around and looking at her butt and i'm like i want to touch that butt <laughs> and uh that's uh that's the end of or the, that's the beginning of kelsey and patrick and you know we have gone on adventures together we moved to san francisco for a year we've bought a couple houses and sold the house and um you know all that is great stuff we've gone through several career changes company changes you know supporting her through grad school her supporting me through through my transitions in my careers from from product companies to the consulting firms you know and, and ultimately you know the second marriage is the best marriage in my in my mind because first marriage you don't really know what you're doing right like it's not like people give you a handbook for life and like here's how to fall in love or here's how to here's how to be in a relationship right and like nobody ever wants to admit that they suck at it because like well if you suck at it then you need help and something's wrong and like it should just be natural and chemistry and blah 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 like no relationships are work and if you don't think they're work you're probably not working at it which means that your relationship's probably going to fail or you're just going to become so apathetic that you stay in it for all the wrong reasons and i realize that with kelsey it is a lot less work than other relationships i've been in because there is a natural connection there is we are we are compatible with each other we think uh, it's so dumb but like yesterday i don't know if it was yesterday no it was the day before we we're just talking about dinner i was like hey i want to make 
the chickpea pasta for dinner because reasons. And she's like, you know what's funny? Three minutes ago, I was thinking, like, we should have chickpea pasta tonight for dinner. Like, we are this weirdly in-sync couple that, like, we don't finish each other's sentences, but, like, we know what each other is feeling and thinking and, and all those sorts of things. And so that that definitely gives us a leg up. You know, I would say that Kelsey brings out the best and the worst in me. And what I mean by that is I can truly be myself. I'm not scared to be mad at her or to be upset or to be vulnerable or be happy where when I was with Camille, I felt like I had to shield a lot of that because like, well, what's she going to think about me if I display any, you know, emotion about X, Y, Z. And so, you know, it really blossomed into a mature relationship, even though there's like an eight or nine year age difference between us. You know, I met, I'm 40 now we've been together going on seven years um 2015 so you know i was late third or early 30s i guess 33 34 um we've been married for shoot it's going on five years in november which is crazy because it doesn't it feels it feels like that year in san francisco that it's like it feels like a very short time well actually it feels like the inverse of that it feels like a very short time even though it's been seven years um you know, we welcomed our first daughter, um, not first daughter, but our daughter, <laughs> our first <laughs> child, um, uh, Maggie, about a year and a half ago. And, you know, watching Kelsey become a mother, you know, is truly awe-inspiring to like just, she was already giving and compassionate as a nurse would be, but to like just watch her constantly give and give and give of herself. And, and I'm not going to say you know doesn't demand anything in return but like is very a selfless person like if jason had a foil it would be kelsey like i would say that kelsey is the nicest person in the entire world as a female and only because jason is also the nicest person i've ever met in the world as a male so like apparently i, I maybe i'm the asshole because i you know, opposites attract and like i found the two <laughs> nicest people in the entire world but you know, ultimately, I am a better person because of who I am with today. But I could have only gotten there because of the pain and trauma that I went through with my ex-wife. So, like, if you're out there and you're in a shitty relationship, like, you can change that. And you can choose to be different. And you can choose to do things differently. You know, I have friends... Um, or ex-friends or acquaintances or people I've just randomly met at bars that are like, yeah, I don't know what's up. Like, I just keep meeting the same people over and over and over again and, like, just a failed relationship. And it's like, well, you're the constant in all of that. Like, you, you got to do something different. Like, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And, you know, I think had it not been for my divorce, I probably would be in that same shoes, right? I just... I just decided not to be sad as cliche as that sounds. Like I just was like, I'm not going to let her win. You know, my, my, uh, my motivation was to, was to, uh, not let her win. And, and I've said it to people before, but like the biggest revenge you can get against someone that upset you or hurt you is to be happy. Like ultimately, like, for them to not even be a blip on your radar. And while I have not spoken to Camille since like 2013. And there's part of me that wonders like how she is and whatever and all that kind of stuff. But the other part of me is like, but also it doesn't really matter. 
you know it doesn't it doesn't matter how she's doing or whatever but i mean it does to a certain extent like i will always like if i was in a relationship with you like it's probably because you were a good person at some point like just because we didn't work out romantically doesn't which my wife hates like i'm still friends with several exes of mine um because at the end of the day they were good people and just because you don't connect romantically doesn't mean that you're not compatible in other ways but yeah i mean it's it's uh there's no love that's lost and as long as you learn something from every situation or every interaction like i think that that's you know a a plus in your call so you know i uh I don't know what else to say about that other than, you know, I'm super happy that I met Kelsey. I'm super happy that I was ready to meet Kelsey because that's the other part. Like, you know, not only do you have to find the right person, but the timing has to be right on both sides. And like, you know, I I almost kind of think about it's like that movie, The Martian, where at the end, you know, they're trying to connect Jessica Chastain with uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Right. Like, like. And they're doing all these complex calculations of like, okay, like, but he's going too fast, but you're 200 meters apart and like you're on this rope and like, you know, he does the go for Iron Man thing and like off by half an inch, you know, and he's floating in space forever and they're going home empty handed. And I feel like that's relationships in a lot of ways, right? It's got to be the right people at the right time and in the right proximity or the right, you know, stage of their life. And, you know, I just, I think... I think my lucky stars or my God or whatever, like, you know, my spiritual being, my, my deity, whatever, that, uh, I was in a place ready to accept love because I love myself. And I, I really appreciate that Kelsey was in the same place because had she not signed up for a week of free match and we probably never would have met. Um, so you know, I paid for it, but she was like, nope, I'm not paying for that. I only want the free week. So whoever I meet is who I meet. Um, and she just like her motivation was she just got out of a relationship and she just wanted someone to tell her that she was pretty. And, uh, I think I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I mean that morphs into, you know, once you have a stable relationship, you start looking for like, what's next, like what's the next rung, right? What's the next maturity level? And, uh, I think for us, it's becoming parents and terrifying, um, exhausting, extremely rewarding. Um, I I didn't know that I could love something that much. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I have family and whatever, and I love them and, you know, I love them deeply, but like, man, I'll tell you what, Maggie I came in from the house or something and she like came around the corner and she saw me and mind you, she's just learning to walk. Like she took her first steps at Christmas and she ran with her arms out to me. And I was like, I think I just died a little bit inside. Like I just melted. Right. Like in the, the, like no words can express what that feeling is. And, uh, watching her learn new things every day, watching her experience things for the first time, um, you know, it's truly rewarding. But then I also have a lot of fears. I mean, my like a little kid at daycare pushed her down, and I'm like, fuck! Like, what if she's the kid that gets bullied, right? Or even worse, what if she's the bully, right? Like, I just, these are the things, and I'm like, she's 16 months old, Patrick. Like, they're gonna push each other. It's gonna happen. And I'm like, yeah, but I want her to know how to push back, right? 
and I want her to know to how to stick up for her friends and like, you know, to be a good person and not be, not be a chump. You know, I don't want to raise a chump. Um, apologies to all the chumps out there. I'm sure you guys are lovely people, but, uh, you know, that's like, that's what I think about now. And like, I feel like once I had a child, I stopped living for myself. Like I, I think about death a lot now, not because I think I'm going to die tomorrow, but it's like, I don't have a lot of time left. Like I got things to do. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make things good for Maggie so she can, she can reach higher than I could ever reach. Right. And whether I die tomorrow or in 40 years, like those are the thoughts that go through my mind. Like that's, that's, so that's become my next springboard of motivation. Right. So if Camille got me this far and Kelsey, Kelsey got me a little farther, like Maggie is my newfound motivation. Like, you know, from a financial perspective, from a health perspective, from, you know, a quality of life perspective. Um, it's just, it's like, I don't want to say everything I do is for Maggie. Cause there's, you know, I definitely like the finer things in life and I don't want to stop doing that. But like at the end of the day, like it's all about Maggie and like how we as parents prepare her for that. Like, you know, where is she going to go to school? Like, where are we going to buy a house next? Do we buy a house in a, in a good school district that's not ideal with where we want to live? Or do we buy a house where we want to live and we send her to private school? Like, what if she's a shithead? What if she's not academically, you know, inclined like her mother and I? What if she's not musically inclined like her mother and I? And her mother's way more musically inclined than I am. But, uh, you know, there's, what if she doesn't want to play sports? What if she wants to be like an emo kid wearing Jenko jeans? I don't know if they still do that, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just like, there's just all these thoughts that run through your mind. And then it's like, I have to stop and say, but just enjoy today because you'll never have today again, right? They grow up so fast. And, you know, I remember when she was a newborn, I just, she was a potato. She just laid there and she slept and she ate and she pooped and whatever. And like you, you know, you did things and she was a really good baby. Um, but like now that she can like make choices, like it's going to sound so dumb but she's smart like she doesn't know how to read but she reads books all the time um today in fact she brought me a book and she didn't want to read it anymore she we read it and then she was like okay i'm done with this and i said well bring me chicka chicka boom boom and she gets down off my lap and she walks over to the bookcase and she brings me chicka chicka boom boom like the actual book like not like uh here's a couple books like and it's not like that book was in a special place that book was under like another book so she knew where to go to get that book that's incredible for a 17 month old you know um and I, I mean i'm not saying i have the world's smartest kid i'm just saying that like i'm in awe of what she can do at her age right and like as not to it's not to be in a pissing contest with other kids or, you know, whatever. But, like, I watch my daughter progress and I'm like, that's awesome. Part of me, too, though, is, like, worried that she has special needs. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, like, it's another challenge for me. And I'm I'm terrified, like, do I have it in me? And, like, deep down, like, yes, I have it in me to give my daughter whatever she needs. But, like, there's a part of me that, like, you know... I don't want to fail her like because it's not that she would fail me because of those things it would be I would fail her because I didn't give her you know whatever so fatherhood is a whole another dimension and you really 
you really start living for someone else. I mean, you, you kind of do when you get married, but like you still have your independence. You can still go out. You can still have dinner and date night. And like, you know, um, we already talked about how I'm from California, but you know, when I travel for work, you know, just to throw that shameless plug back in there, you know, it's different that I'm going to travel for work with a child because now I'm leaving Kelsey alone with Maggie. And like, we have a routine, like, I'm the sleep master. I put the baby to bed every night unless I'm like out of town. And Maggie knows that. And she responds to that to the point where, listen, if it's before the hours, if it's before six o'clock, she wants nothing to do with me if her mother's around. But at 615, when it's time to go to bed, she's jumping out of her mom's arms for me because she knows it is bedtime. And she gets all snuggly and like we have our little 10 or 15 minutes at the end of every day and I put her to bed and like that's the most rewarding thing. Uh, it's it's actually something that my uncle uh, told me. He had he had his uh, his daughter later in life around my age and I was like any advice for for me and he goes well I don't know if it has anything to do with age but just find something that you and her can do every day. He's like, for me, I would walk Alexis to school, kindergarten through, you know, until she didn't want to do it anymore, basically. And he's like, that was our thing. He's like, it's in those moments that you get to learn little things about her that no one else gets to learn. Those little conversations or those little snippets or whatever. And like, while Maggie can't talk, um, I mean, she she verbalizes, but like she's not, you know, we're not having conversations like this. Although Cam is kind of a toddler, so maybe it's kind of the same thing. Um, you know, just having that quiet time with her, just, you know, bonding in a way that, like, not everybody gets to bond with someone. And, like, that's like that's forever. And, like, I want to think back. I, I don't sing, but I sing to her, you know. Like, I am constantly musical to her and just humming and singing stupid songs. And that's not something I ever thought that I would do. I never did it with Chase or Jason's kids um, or any of my nieces or nephews. Um, it's something unique to, to my relationship with Maggie. And I don't know. I just hope that when she is older, like, she remembers that. Like, oh, what's that song you also, you always used to sing to me? Or, like, when I'm gone, like, oh, my dad used to always sing this to me or whatever. And it's it sounds so dumb, but, like, that's how I feel, like, I'll be immortal, right? Is that like, I will live on through my kids. And like, if you don't have kids and you don't, like that sounds completely asinine and egotistical and whatever, but like, it's like, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like, it's not that I want to live forever, but I want someone to remember me. And like, if I can have a child that does that, like, I don't know. And not be a shithead dad. Not that I've had shithead dads, but like, I know plenty of people that have had shit to have dads. Like, I don't want to be that dad. You know, Kelsey, um, as much as she's a wonderful mother, tells me all the time that I'm a wonderful father and a supportive husband. She works with a lot of females um, who are mothers. And Kelsey would be like, oh, yeah, my husband did blah, 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 blah. And they're like, wait, what? Your husband did what? He cooked dinner and did the dishes and put the baby down so you could go do X, Y, Z? My husband would never do that, right? Like, and it's not that, like, I do that to, like, show off. It's just parenthood is a, is a, is a partnership. Like, you can't, like, I don't know how people, I don't know how my mom did it alone. Um, I don't know how other people do it alone. Like, uh, 
It's a lot of fucking work. Or it's a lot of work and a lot of money, which either way, that's a lot of work. So, you know, cheers to all the single parents out there raising kids on their own, whether by choice or not by choice. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you guys do it. Cause like I've looked at Kelsey and I'm like, I don't know how I would do this without you. And I think she's basically said the same thing back. Like, I don't know how I would do this without you. Like when she was breastfeeding, cause you know, I, I have nipples, but you know, I can't be milked, Greg. Um, uh, I would just make sure that like all of her pumping stuff was washed twice a day, like in the mornings and in the evenings. And she always had a set ready to go. So she didn't have to think about that. And like, not that that took a lot of time, but it was just something that she never had to think about, you know, and the baby bottles when we started like transitioning over to bottles and real milk, like making sure that her bottles were made, making sure that she always had clean pacifiers. And, you know, I don't do Maggie's laundry, but you know, just making sure that like the daily stuff was ready to go so that she could be fed, you know, like that was one way that I could contribute to, to that where like, it's a very distinct relationship between mother and mother and child and the breastfeeding. Like men have no place in that. I don't want to have a place in that, but, but guys, if you have a wife or a partner that's breastfeeding, do everything that you can do to just support that activity because that shit is hard. And if you don't know that, then maybe you're the shitty dads and husbands that those girls are talking about. But, uh, yeah, man. Um, so I took you from me being a baby to me having a baby. I feel like, I feel like that's full circle in about two and a half hours. That is full circle. Sir. Um, that was amazing. I, I don't know. If that it's was am- great. I don't know if it's amazing. It's, it's something. It's amazing to me. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, bring up with, any other points i don't think so i feel like i feel like i zoom through some parts and definitely like magnifying on others but yeah i mean in a nutshell that's uh you know we overlaid we overlaid the personal with the professional and i i've always firmly believed that like there's three legs in anyone's life right there's a professional there's your romantic and then there's your social and pick two and they're always great but you're always gonna have one that's always kind of wonky and through this you know, there's been peaks and valleys in every areas, you know, personal tragedies. You know, I've had several family members die in the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's been really, really traumatic and, and I struggle a lot with it. But, you know, my relationship and my professional career and, and now my family, I would I would include I would include my relationship with Kelsey and my relationship with Maggie as one. Right. That like we are a that's the romantic side of things you know i still have i try to still be a good friend to you know our core group um but you know i have other priorities but i mean here it is on a weekday school night and i'm out you know late at night doing these things so kelsey's supportive of me i'm supportive of her and we we try to make it work so you know uh ups and downs don't let life get you down you can always choose to do something better and i think uh i think going back to one of mr vaughn's teachings you know whether he said it or not but like you choose how you react to the world and you know i don't want to say choose good but like choose good for you and like everything else will kind of make sense you know if you're constantly a victim then like you're always going to be a victim if you choose to not be a victim then you won't be a victim and i'm not talking about like actual victims but like people with victim mentalities and 
you know, oh, the whole world's against me. Like, oh, Ohio against the world. No, Ohio, you just think poorly of yourself. Like, do better. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Anything uh, Anything you want to wrap up with or questions you want to ask or dive into? I think uh, I think you did a great job. Uh, you know, just like you said, we magnified some things. We kind of skimmed some things. Uh, yeah, it's your story. So, and I'm sticking to it. And you're sticking to it. <laughs> That's the alibi, right? Yep. Where were you the night that OJ was trying to run from the feds? <laughs> I was playing SimCity and Sim Tower in my dad's office. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you had two episodes, so is there another piece of advice that you want to leave off with? Or do you think that um, the advice that your teacher said was... Yeah, I mean, I think... That's about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I just sum it up that, like... Life is what you make of it. Life is what you choose. If you always choose, I don't want to say poorly, that's not the right word, but if you always choose poorly, you're always going to feel poorly. You know, you're always going to feel down about yourself. And every opportunity is another opportunity to make the right choice or a different choice. And if you don't like your, I don't even know, it's from some Disney movie, but like if you don't like your station in life, like you can change it. I mean, obviously there's, it, there's hard work that goes behind that. It's not like, oh, one day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be successful or I'm going to be in a relationship or I'm going to be a dad. Well, technically, I guess you could wake up and be a dad the next day um, if you make some poor choices. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just, you know, at the end of the day, be true to yourself. Always understand that, you know, you always have ultimate control. You always have a choice and maybe a bad choice and a worse choice, but you always have a choice. And, uh, yeah, just... Uh, if you're not a dad, I would strongly recommend, you know, considering uh, having kids. Because I'll, I'll tell you, you know, Camille Camille and I talked about having kids. And before we got married, she fundamentally said, I do not want to have kids. And I always wanted kids. Like every, ever since I was a teenager, you know, it was just kind of natural. I come from a big family on both sides. And, you know, and people have told me you'd be a great dad and all these things. And uh, Camille said no to kids. And so, like, I had to be right with that because, like, I don't want to get married to someone who didn't want kids. And I strongly wanted kids. And, like, that was never going to work out. So, like, I decided, like, 27, 28, like, I wasn't going to have kids. And, like, you know, I was going to be the rich uncle, you know, traveling and, you know, taking nieces and nephews and whatever. And then Kelsey and I talked about having kids. And she was like, well, you know, I'm on the fence. But she was younger. She was 25 when we met. So, like, she was the age... I met her at the age that I was when I met Camille and I'm like, Whoa, well, a lot can change, you know, a lot can change in that five or six years. And lo and behold, like, you know, she was on the fence and you want to do career stuff first. And then a couple of years ago, she's like, yeah, I want kids. And so like we made the conscious decision to like try to have a baby. Um, but like I was okay not having a kid and like, you know, so here I am 40 year old dad with a, toddler running around like that's that's not fucking that's not easy at all and uh yeah even though maggie's a great sleeper like she has endless amounts of energy and uh so yeah so if there's something you think you want and you make a choice you can always go back on that choice like so like i said you always have a choice in the matter um as long as you're honest with yourself and you're you're honest with what you want so yeah i don't know i feel like i could keep pulling out philosophical <laughs> guru uh cliches and sayings for the next hour but uh 
feel like we should uh we should sign off here in here in the the group of friends we call that fireside chats yeah <laughs> yep 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 but yeah let's go ahead and wrap it up uh yeah thank you so much for coming out and telling the rest of your story thanks for having i me. had a great time Again. hope you hope you did as well yeah um yeah until next time thank you for tuning in to this episode of fatal to prejudice if you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.